Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back. It's a brand new uh, podcast. It's called the Rob Eats Apples podcast. And um, instead of po- talking politics, I'm going to eat a different apple throughout the episode. And uh, we'll see kind of what has different snaps to it. We're going to describe flavor profiles. So uh, this one is a Granny Smith. You could hear it right in the crunch. And um, this one's particularly tart. I like a tart apple. No, we're not going to do that. That's crazy talk. I got an unbelievable episode lined up for you. You wouldn't believe it, but I do have to finish this apple now. There we go. All done. I hope I didn't disturb all of you listeners who came to hang out with me. Here's what's going on. It might be a little whispery. I'm actually in a hotel right now. So I'll talk with this real creepy voice. So if the neighbors are listening, they really think I'm a serial killer. I got a packed episode. I got an episode with uh, Ashton Birdie where uh, we talked about confronting the internet censors. She actually had a wild incident where I believe Lyft threw her off the platform, uh, but we didn't even get a chance to get into that story. Maybe we'll have to do a second segment. And then I had the incredible Bowtie Boy back on because I was reading some books and uh, he's become my uh, my economics tutor. So he was nice enough to come on and explain some stuff to us. Uh, and then other than that, I want to top on here for a brief intro. Mostly because, um, you know, I want to make sure I get all my plugs in, which is my live dates. Guys, come hang out. End of year. Uh, we're running it. We're doing the whole end of year thing. I got uh, multiple cities. Everything's in the episode description. Actually, you know what? Just go to RobbieTheFire.com slash shows. And I got uh, all the cities there. We're talking Mexico with the pedal and fiction guys. That's going to be a crazy weekend. Bunch of other libertarian podcasters going to be out there, including uh, some of the fellers from Lion of Liberty, along from Clint from Liberty Lock Pod. Uh, and then uh, Nashville. No, I'm not doing Nashville. But if you're in Nashville, come out for the Atlanta show. Just booked a theater in Atlanta which are going to be doing with Menu and Heart. Then I'm up in New Hampshire with uh, Menu and Heart, Ilya and uh, uh, BK Chris. Uh, where else am I going? I don't know. I'm Just assume I'm going to be in your city. And if not, show up and see the list of cities and travel because I'm um, I'm excited to run this thing. RobbieTheFire.com slash shows. All right. So let's get into a couple of news topics before uh, we get into a full episode here. Uh, but the first is, dude, I was actually, uh, I, I came out to Myrtle Beach. I'm at my friend's wedding. And uh, I got to ride in a Lambo the other day. Have any of you guys ever been inside of a Lambo? Because uh, I I always thought people that buy spend more than what I could possibly afford on a house and a car was crazy until I got in one. Oh, my. Like, I, I, I have to figure out how to start making money. Anyone here listening need a blowjob? Because I need I need to figure out how to make two hundred thousand dollars really fast so that I can somehow, uh, you know, scratch my 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 fast car addiction. I got into this guy's car. It's like owning a roller coaster. It's, you know, not that I've been on a roller coaster for a while, but I remember waiting on those six flags lines, seeing all those dirty people and just inch by inch waiting just to get on the roller coaster. Or you could spend $200,000 just on a Lambo. And then every time you try and run errands, it, I, it he, he had this thing called launch mode. I thought I was going to pass out in the car. Like all the blood rushed to my head and my dick at the same time. We're like, yeah, I don't know. I even maybe that's the feeling I've had when a roller coaster when you got like a whole bunch of blood, like at the tip of your dick feeling. I don't know what that feeling is. But then also, like, I actually was concerned because it, like he picked me up from the airport, hadn't eaten all day. And then he put the thing in launch mode. And I was like, I can't look like a bitch right now. But I thought I was going to I thought I was going to black out in that seat. And then I had a smile on my face that I haven't had, I think, since I'm three years old, where I was just like, OK, we got to do that again. Can we do that again? You got to do that again. That was the so I. Uh, I had some fun. We went we went for a nice little joyride. Uh, he dropped me off at the hotel and he gave me the keys to a hundred thousand dollar Range Rover. Uh, I own a probably six thousand dollar Subaru. 
Uh, so after getting all hyped up from being in his car, I was like, I'm taking this fucking Range Rover for a spin. And it took me about 10 minutes to get a ticket. I mean, not even 10 minutes. And I wasn't even I wasn't even going that like because I was just on main strip mall like road. So I was actually kind of keeping it pretty calm. Uh, but being in that Lambo got to my head and 10. And that's the problem with hanging out with cool people is that cool people do cool stuff. And then you think you're going to get away with it as well. And then 10 minutes later, there's a cop and, uh, you know, you've got uh, you've got and not just a t- dude. My insurance has been so cheap. Hopefully I'm going to fight it. I'm going to I'm going to might have to come back down here, show up in court. And I don't even know how that works. I don't know how it works. That if you just show up to court, I've, I've gotten away with some bad tickets, though. One time I got pulled over for texting while driving and I showed up in court on that one and I was texting while driving. But then I think I convinced them I was trying to be on on maps. On this case, I don't really know what you do if they clocked you for speeding. But, you know, that's why they have lawyers. Uh, did I plug my tour dates yet? I told you that's what I wanted to do. Go to RobbieTheFire.com slash shows because I got a whole bunch of uh, tour dates over there. So Alec Baldwin just shot somebody. Uh, you know, after you get away with punching somebody in the street, you really want to test your powers. Like if you're a person of power and you get away with horrible shit, it's the nature of man. You want to press it. You want to see just how far you can take it. How much power do you really? And he was smart enough to go shoot somebody in Mexico. Like if you're going to go shoot people, you probably do want to like get that done in other countries. I do think that's a smart strategy. Uh, And I'm just going to call it. I I think this is the curse of the Trump for some reason. I don't know what deal Trump has worked out either with the devil or God, but it just seems like everybody that crosses him, terrible things happen in their lives. And it, it doesn't always happen immediately. Like there's I like I'd hate to be the person that rigged the election. That's all I can say. I don't know who rigged the election. I don't know who, who got that done, but I would hate to be that individual because it just seems like if you cross Trump bad. And what do you guys think is going to happen with this new social media company? I mean, you forget about the fact that he's probably the most famous individual that ever existed. And uh, he can at times like I mean, I've been doing comedy 11 years and I try and sell 40 tickets. Uh, and I have 30 minutes of material that I spend four hours. And I mean, at the moment for this end of year thing, about three hours every single morning trying to write, uh, collaborating with an artist. Donald Trump can just sell out a stadium and talk for an hour and 10 minutes without preparing one word. And maybe it's uh, maybe, you know, it's because he's got a hook with his with his whole thing, with the arms flapping. He's got a hook. It's like a Sam Kinison almost, but for whatever. So he can just, he can just go. It doesn't matter. He can say anything. It's all going to be great. The words I just said, those were great too. Now I'm kind of encroaching on uh, Shane Gillis's joke, which was a great special. And he does a he does a, a really good uh, Trump impression. Did you guys watch Shane Gillis's special? Pretty incredible. What the fuck was I trying to talk about? Oh, yeah, whether or not. I mean, so just off of the news, that thing was going wild. Um, and I just think based off of Trump's track record of not building walls, not proving election fraud, not even successfully writing a blog, I mean, how excited can we get about a Trump project? I, I mean, sure, I, I I do believe if he becomes president again, the the country he'll get it back to being even greater. Um, he's going to make it greater, great again. I for, I even forgot what the slogan is. These slogans are getting bad. Build back better. Uh, I'll be even greater at building back backs. Like it's a little too much malarkey in whoever's writing these 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 quotes for these politicians. Uh, but 
Anyways, if you guys, I mean, it would be interesting. Listen, it would be great if we got some other actual powerful social media platform or if Trump didn't run for president again, uh, but managed to get some other social media platform off the ground that actually took some market share from Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. If for nothing else, just to punish them for siding with the Democrats and taking place in internet censorship. At the end of the day, these websites are about driving traffic. So what exactly is your uh, deal with the Democrats that you want to basically, I mean, not that they lost the market for all Republicans, because a lot of us are still hanging out there. Not that I'm a Republican, but I see a lot of Republicans are still there and, you know, we're all still kind of congregating there. Uh, But it would be interesting that, you know, that like Trump was definitely a big draw. And so maybe if he is the anchor of I know that's like that's like TV talk of being like the um, but anyways, anyways, if he launched a new platform, it would be interesting if that actually does make a dent in their profits. And I actually do think that would be a win, uh, but I don't really even expect it to get off the ground. Okay. Uh, there was a Wall Street Journal article that um, I was kind of going ham on just tweeting out every line of it because it was driving me nuts. Uh, and so there were a couple pieces here that I did want to highlight on the podcast. The entire thing was about... Um, uh, nurses essentially being thrown out of their jobs. But before we do that, I forgot to mention that aside from my tour dates, uh, the episode is brought to you by Yo Kratom and Yo Delta. I was at a wedding the other night and that Yo Delta pen uh, saved my life. Uh, and then also sheath underwear, which uh, I'm wearing right now and my bulge looks amazing. I wish you could be here just looking at my bulge, my sheath bulge. If you, you wouldn't even be listening to the podcast. You would just go, that's an impressive sheath bulge. And then I would go, it is, let's make out. Okay. Let's continue with uh, whatever the hell I was trying to talk about. Right. This new. Uh, oh, no, no, no. This was the Wall Street Journal article I wanted to talk about first. I didn't even want to talk about the ivermectin thing. We'll get to the ivermectin thing, which is a part of the other COVID thing. You know, what? I take it back. I do want to talk about the COVID stuff. Let's stay. Let's stay focused here. Let's not. Oh, except that I wanted to talk about. No, no, no. We're going to stay on one topic here. We're not going to go all ADD all over the place. I'm not going to relaunch into the Apple eating podcast. Um. So it was this article, and uh, first thing I want to point out is there's something very rapey in the way that they are uh, taking pride in using mandates to convince people. They keep referring to, look at all the individuals we were able to persuade by mandates. It's like if you force somebody to do something and you get a yes, that, that, like, that's, that's essentially rape. Like, you know, I could close a lot of dates. If uh, if at the end of the date, you could be like, hey, listen, I convinced her and that was just referring to to rape. Like, I mean, what, what are we what, that, that's essentially what they are describing. I mean, they're not they're, at the moment. They're not holding anyone down, sticking needles into them. But like you can't use the words convinced or we persuaded, which would convey the fact that you sat down, you had a discussion and the other guy went, oh, yeah, you're right. When what you did was more similar to like. You know, that this is the mafia shit of I made him a I made him an offer he couldn't refuse. The guy didn't want to sell. Well, you know, I we we hung him off the side of the building, and then he said he would not only would he sell us the building, he was gonna give us a good price on it. Like there's just something incredibly I mean, we've been talking about corona for a whole year. And even the 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 listeners of this show who decided to get vaccinated, I know none of you guys are into these mandates, uh, but the fact that they are now I guess really trying to ramp up their efforts to squeeze everybody and then referring to like, you know, you're either going to be fired from your job or you got to get this thing. And then people get in they're like, Oh, well, yeah, we convinced him. That's not convincing that, that, that's something else. That's, that's called you threatened the guy's li- livelihood. 
That's not that that's not that, oh, there was good evidence for something and now he agrees with you. And then here's the other thing that I just saw this. I, I did the math on this and I didn't quite realize it. Um, the actual number of people prior to the mandates of unvaccinated in the country is I think it was 96 million people. Um, and then I realized, well, how many people even exist in the country that are over the age of 21? And when I looked up that figure, I think it's about 200 million. Uh, so what we're looking at, maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe I got to redo this math. Maybe I just did it uh, real, real, uh, maybe hap haphazardly earlier in the day. But I think 50% of the country was unvaccinated prior to when they created forceful mandates. That they're taking pride in. They're, they're, this is their pride and joy that I think they went from uh, that about 30% of the people that were holding out have now gotten vaccinated. And uh, they also love reporting of the fact that like certain professions have high numbers of vaccinated individuals without reflecting on the fact that because you forced some of the people out of their jobs that otherwise would have been working. I think that's uh, particularly probably an issue in the medical fields where I've even seen some article uh, that 95 percent of all like doctors had been vaccinated. And uh, that's because the other ones were pr they're probably not doctors anymore. So good job get, getting your number to 95% by getting rid of individuals. And I just want to say that a lot of things I say here are uh, fully researched. That last statement was not. Okay, moving forward with uh, my half-baked thought here. Right, so as much as 50% of the country might have chosen with all the information that's out there to not get vaccinated... And then they still pretend like everyone that's not doing it is crazy. That's like, it's a really good manipulative trick that they, that they pull, which is trying to pretend like, Hey, no one else has a problem with this. You're the only person, or if you meet anyone and they're not, they're crazy. And then most places that I go to the people I interact with, the 50% number seems pretty accurate based off of just like, I mean, aside from when I'm around liberal, you know, comics, uh, in in New York City, but I'm just saying on most of my travels and journeys, if I'm sitting down in a conversation with 10 people, I think that's a fair estimate that, you know, 40% of them, I would say probably aren't that into it. The other ones probably really aren't against the mandates. If you actually pulled the country on how many people are into Biden's forceful mandate of vaccines policy, wh what do you guys think the number is? I would go maybe 30, maybe 30%, maybe who knows? Who knows? Maybe we'll turn into Australia still. It could still happen. The other thing that uh, caught my eye, specifically in the Wall Street Journal article, uh, was that they said uh, ivermectin is dangerous if used improperly. And that caught my eye because everything is dangerous if you use it improperly. There's uh, probably very few items in the plant, maybe even a chair. I, I guess you could somehow use a chair improperly. If you decided to throw a chair in the air and then just try and stand underneath it, especially if it was or launched a chair in the air. Let's say you got a cannon, you launched a chair in the air. And then you tried to stand exactly underneath where the chair would fall. Congratulations. You just figured out how to make a chair deadly. And you can take a microwave. I mean, not a microwave. You can take a toaster. You can make toast with the toaster. Or you can get in a bathtub with it. You get into a bathtub with the toaster, you're going to die. Let's take a little, I wish you guys were here with me. Let's, let's come up with more items. There's probably few items on the entire, that are known to humanity that if used improperly, you couldn't somehow kill yourself with. When I'm driving my car, I could slam on the brakes, put the thing in park and flip my car into the air. That's called it like, yes, using things improperly or dangerous, like wonderful reporting. Um, here was another thing with the Corona of recent news that caught my eye. Uh, this was from an article in the Hill, but it was Pfizer says at a press conference that when an escape variant emerges, they would be able to have a new version of the vaccine ready in a hundred days. 
Uh, now, what's interesting about this is you guys can go back down the archive of the episodes I've done Stephen in his excellent COVID analysis. Uh, and he pointed out that these single sp these single uh, protein spikes are not going to be good for variants. And even earlier than that, I had a molecular biologist who came on, took a look at it and said, these things have been perf purposely designed in this way and they're not going to work for uh, variants. And we know, that vac we know that viruses will mutate and there will be variants, as far as I understand it. Okay. So that was, I'm not going to say that that was quite conspiracy talk a couple months ago, but it was something that when they were pushing the vaccine, nobody was talking about, they were trying to present it as you might need a booster down the line, but this thing, this thing's going to work and it's safe and effective. So they already lied about um, the fact that, you know, it's only safe and effective if you get it every six months. Now, the part that the part of the story that we've known for a while, because we're, uh, you know, we actually do our homework over here and we don't. Uh, you know, we're, we're not trying to sell you guys vaccines so we can actually be honest about it. But predictably, that formulation is not actually going to work uh, for for variants. Now, whether or not it's working for Delta, I mean, it's clearly not working as well for Delta as it was working for the Alpha. Uh, but I, I don't even know to what extent the the, the utility even uh, exists. Well, I guess there no, they're, they're, at the moment there does, we're going to have to check with Steven. I don't know what the utility is for Delta, I do know that it's worse than what it was for the alpha and that I guess we can get to a point with the variants where uh, it does absolutely zero. Okay, so with all of that being said, so now this part of the story is actually coming out. So just to get back to being focused here, line number one about needing to get booster shots, line number two now about the fact that the actual vaccine will not work for the variants. So like, even if you have it every six months, it, it, we can get to a point with variants where this vaccine will not work. And then here's what caught my eyes that they said that they'll have be able to, if a new variant emerges, they'll be able to have a vaccine within a hundred days. All right. So let's say they actually turn around a vaccine within a hundred days. That doesn't mean it's getting into everybody's arms within a hundred days. So what are we talking about? It's going to be at least, I don't know, four to six months before you can actually get a substantial amount of the population uh, with the like shot that's good for whatever the active variant is. Six months later, the thing that you're now putting into everybody's arm. Uh, does that even work anymore? I mean, I don't know the actual life cycle of viruses. I don't know the way herd immunity would actually work. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm literally posing these questions, which hopefully I don't get pulled for because you're not even really allowed to do. And by the way, I'll just tell you the reason you're not allowed to ask questions is because um, the head of the CDC, I, I mean, I, I've been, I, I got this joke in my end of year thing, not quite in this formulation, and I tweeted about it as well. But at one point when, uh, when everybody underneath her said that we were not going to do booster shots, and then she seemed to overrule all of them and say, nope, we are going to do the booster shots. She said something along the lines of, and I'll repeat that because I, I something along the lines of, this is not the direct quote. I don't have the quote in front of me. We, we can reference it at another point in time, but the theme of what I'm about to say here, I know for sure is accurate. She basically said, our task here is to make firm decisions on imperfect data. And I know that my for right off the bat, you're like, well, why would you do that? If you don't have great data, why? And, and so that's the big, and then you're not even allowed to question their imperfect data. So like they do something and you go, Hey, I'm looking at the data. I don't think it supports that. And they go, well, you're not allowed to ask that question. And the reason why you're not allowed to ask that question is because they know, they know that they are making decisions that they don't have data to support. And now as we live in this environment of not only are they going to mandate that we have to have these, they're going to fire people for their jobs for having them. Simple questions of, well, wait a second, the formulation that you have might not even work for variants. And let's do the math on it. I mean, you guys are a billion dollar company. You guys are CEOs. You got to sit down and do these projections. How long would it take you 
to get a formulation of this approved and in people's arms? And is that enough time, right, that will even do anything or will the virus have already mutated? And do we even need this stuff when we're starting to see better inventions uh, by way of therapeutics, which got to do your own research on this one, the monocle antibodies or even that new Merck product or perhaps even ivermectin unless you're taking it improperly, which um, no one's advising. There's, there's no doctor who's like, hey, go take this product improperly. There's, you can use anything improperly. All right. So here was the, um, oh, so here's the last thing I wanted to say about the Corona stuff, which is interesting to me. Okay. So based off the numbers, what I just said that about 50% of people, uh, seemingly if my, I'm going to have to, I will double check my math on that. And I'll tell you guys whether or not that was an accurate statement, but seemingly 50% of the country was uninterested in doing this. Now I have friends that were all for the vaccine. I, I know a couple of them. And now that they've heard the booster talk, they're just like, well, fuck no. Like they just realized like, okay, I, uh, you know, I thought all my friends like Rob were completely crazy. I didn't understand why they were against it, but now they start having a little bit of that flavor of like, I've been lied to here. And I have friends, particularly with kids like in preschool and they don't like the mask. They don't like the fact that schools are closing. There's a lot of people here that six months ago were kind of on the side of what do you mean government lies to me? What, what do you mean they're trying to push vaccines? What do you mean that they're not really thinking through these health policies? These people have my best interest. And a lot of those people have not been converted to now being more pro-vax, more pro-government, more pro. It's not like the problem has been resolved. Now, now you got some people who are doubling down. They feel like they were suckered and they're standing behind themselves in line, which is a uh, concept from the book. Uh, I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> anyways, it's self-reinforcing. They're looking for more evidence. And because what they did was such a foolish decision, they're going more ham. And like they, they're even more hooked in because they don't possibly want to reevaluate the fact that they might have been wrong. I think there's more individuals who obviously I think we can all agree uh, that there's going to be more individuals who are not willing to get the booster, who are willing to get the original vaccine. And there are going to be certain individuals who don't understand what's going on here and are going to start waking up to the fact that they are being lied to. Now, amongst those individuals, as they've just um, mandated, well, they haven't mandated it for kids yet, but now they, they like using the word allowed. Thanks to, to be, we're, we're like, like as if kids were just lining up with uh, hoping that they might be able to get the shot that their parents had. They were like upset. Like it was like, uh, you know, every time that little kid wanted to like sees you drinking booze or whatever, like that's adult stuff. You're going to have to wait till you're adult or like the older cousins are going out. Well, those are your older cousins. When you're an adult, kids were like that for the vaccine. They were just standing around going, when do I get to get one of these things in my arm? I want one of those. Daddy, can I have some vaccine? I want some MRNAs. Um, okay. What the fuck was I talking about? Something to do with kids. Right. I think that as we get to a stage with boosters that seemingly aren't going to work for the variants by the time they even get into people's arms, uh, one, two, as they start suggesting to everybody, hey, you should be putting this in your kids. And by the way, what risk is your kid at for COVID? What risk? What exactly? How much is this going to improve? And by the way, it, 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 now they're down to ninety percent. It used to be ninety-five percent, right? Um, was the the now it's down to I don't I don't even understand that. I don't even understand why the uh, um, I guess relative risk would have gone down for kids. And I'm just guessing because the vaccines aren't as good when it comes to uh, the Delta variant. We'll have to research that one. And, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of unverified facts at the beginning of this episode. I knew I should have just stuck into the apples. I knew coming into this, I was like, I got, I got apples lined up here, different colors, different flavors. I could do an episode on apples. I could test crunch factor. We could do this. All right. 
<laughs> All I'm trying to say is uh, I think what might happen over the next couple months is first, uh, you know, the, the virus might mutate in a way where it's less deadly. As uh, Stephen predicted, he, he doesn't think that COVID is going to be such a giant health risk that, you know, it's going to kind of fade away. Or I think because uh, it's all about the compliance. Like and when I say it's all about compliance, like even look at um, like even look at money. Money has value. And part of what gives money value is because um, people have confidence in it. People believe that it's a store of value. They believe they're going to be able to use it. The banks are open because there isn't a run on the banks. The stock market's at its valuations because people are buying stocks. Everything has something like there's a formula of things having value, which are relative to the fact that people buy into it. That's true of government as well. And they know that. And so if they have policies that are so you know, that everyone can look in and go, Hey, this is, this is a disaster. We don't like this. Like, like, like war, they have to walk away from those policies because they don't want people to completely lose faith in them. Because if enough people lose faith in something, it starts losing its value. It loses its persuasion. It loses its, uh, it, it loses its power really. And so I am hoping that since there is to my eye, no evidence to support government mandates uh, in regards to, uh, you know, treating COVID with these vaccines that seem to have a little utility, especially in healthy individuals, uh, that maybe more people start losing faith in government and losing faith in all of these policies. And as a result, more people actually start speaking out against it or just aren't interested. And the more people that aren't interested, the less eat like at some point, then they almost have to. I mean, I don't know how they were able to disguise the fact that apparently 100 million people uh, which is 50% of who could have gotten it was uninterested in it. And they managed to continue to pretend like everybody uh, who wasn't interested was an absolute idiot. And uh, where are they getting their news from? I, I mean, God bless that they managed to pull that one. But what happens if 90% of the country is uninterested in boosters? Are they really able to keep that lie going? All right. I was going to let's uh, let's call it there because that's a that's a hell of an introduction. I wasn't even planning on doing that much time. And I've been yelling into these hotel hallways for, uh, you know, a good 20 minutes here about Corona stuff. So, you know, I might have to go fight some people. Uh, so let's call it there. Once again, thank you to Yo Delta, Yo Kratom and Sheath for sponsoring the episode. Please go to RobbieTheFire.com slash shows for my tour dates. And now let's get into it with uh, Ashton uh, talking about being censored. Thank you for having me. And uh, before we get into it, why don't you let people know uh, all the places online they can find you? I know you're putting up a lot of YouTube content, a lot of good stuff for the Liberty cause. So why don't you let people know what you got? Um, my name is Ashton. I go by Ashton Birdie on YouTube, A-S-H-T-O-N-B-I-R-D-I-E. And on Twitter, I am the Ashton Blaze, the Ashton B-L-A-I-S-E. Cool. And I saw, I was very jealous. You made it down to the Tom Woods event. And uh, it's amazing how many people I've met at this point. And every time I show up to these events, it almost feels like summer camp where I got like my camp friends because I keep seeing some of the same characters, some of the same podcasters. Uh, so I, I was jealous that I got to see everyone having so much fun. I'm curious to hear about how the actual experience was. It was well, to be quite honest, it's actually quite fun. Uh, a little chaotic, a little crazy, but I guess that's what happens when you get a bunch of libertarians who drink too much uh, in one room. Uh, that was basically the gist of it, but it was really fun. 
Uh, I, I got recognized a bunch by a lot of people who follow me. So it was lovely to see everyone. It was lovely to meet Michael Malice for the first time. That was really exciting. Uh, it was fun to run into some old friends like Eric July and Karen Ann and, uh, you know, Angela. I, I love Angela. She's absolutely wonderful. But it was, it was just great to run into everyone and, and you know, meet people that I haven't met yet on on my sleeve keeps popping down I'm getting scandalous tonight I apologize um but it was just it was definitely a really fun event um yeah it was just great and honestly it, it was one of those things you have to be there to experience because it was just so wild um it was funny though because everyone kept asking me when I was there like Alex Jones is gonna pop out any minute he's gonna pop out any minute I'm like listen Alex Jones is not here I promise you he was supposed to come he is not here and then Michael Malice pulled out a puppet, and then everyone was like, "Oh, Alex Jones isn't here." So oh, like I, Al Michael Malice was teasing that Alex Jones was showing up for it. Well, no, because the thing is, is that I was actually I was actually going to bring Alex, not as like a special guest or anything, but Alex was going to attend the event. Uh, and you know, I you said you almost brought him to my comedy show. No, he was out of state. I couldn't. That would have made my life. I feel like Alex really would like my comedy. I said I should have brought him out there, but he was out of state at that point, which is why I was going to bring Owen, but then Owen was busy or whatever. I got you an InfoWars producer. Isn't that good enough? Wait. Oh, I didn't <laughs> even realize that. That is pretty cool. I should hit yeah. them up. I'd love to get on there and talk some COVID misinformation. I don't think any uh, any other comedian out there has done as much homework as I have on the issue. The fact that I got to hang out with you and and Kyle and, and Adam, but also the fact that we all got to hang out with Scott Horton afterwards is really fun. But also, actually, I think that was actually the cherry on top of the Tom Woods event as well as me hanging out with Scott Horton at the end of the day until like four in the morning. We're all just, you know, in our little powwow smoking out of Scott Horton's special Sherlock Holmes pipe. And we're all just discussing socioeconomics. And it was wonderful. It was It was honestly one of those things where it's like, you can't really describe it's just sort of a powwow event of everybody just coming together and loving one another and it feels like family it really felt like a family reunion honestly it really did so. scott and uh guy swan have a similar vibe to them i don't know if you met guy but you can ask them just about any question and they're like most of the time i'll just talk at people because i think they're really boring and i'll be like i know more than you so i'm just going to talk to you uh and that's what makes me an autistic libertarian but when i'm around scott and, and Guy Swan, you can ask Guy Swan any financial topic and he's going to tell you brilliant things you never thought of. And uh, Scott's the same way on anything war related where he's a textbook. You can ask him anything and he just has it right on the top of his head. His mind. Actually, it's funny because he, I agree. But Scott actually said one thing that he got wrong and I knew. Ooh, and you're going to be the one you're going to be. I uh... corrected him. I corrected him during his whole powwow. And you know what? He's one of those people that doesn't get mad. He doesn't have an ego about it. But I, it was definitely funny to think, I just corrected Scott Horton on the Federal Reserve. It was, like, it was, a, it was a, you know, a little pat on the back for myself. But it's funny. Every time I see Scott Horton, he remembers who I am. He recognizes me. He forgets my name, but he remembers me. Did, did his speech go over well? He was running some of his jokes by me before the comedy thing. And I love it. Wait, wait did you know he was going to be there? Because I asked him in Austin, like, hey, will you be at Tom Woods? And he told me he was traveling that week. So I don't know if it was just because he was out of it that night or because it was supposed to be secret or. I think it was super secret. That's what he oh. told me. I was, uh, I was, okay. uh, I had to sign documents before he ran some of his jokes by me and I signed the non disclosure agreements. And, uh, the guy threatens a lot of litigation for someone who's anti-war. I mean, he was like a seven-page document. I had to read it, sign, and 
Uh, he, you know, had threats lobbied at me if I didn't read every word of it and, you know, in full clarity, uh, understand what I was signing off on. Uh, but I agreed and I, I thought it was great. And I was hoping that I'd already see the footage online uh, from his speech. So I'm curious as I wasn't there, how it went. It went really well. It went oh, it went yeah. fantastic, honestly. I think Scott and Tom were the only things I really stuck around for, to be honest. Uh, it was one of those events where it's like, you want to listen to everything everyone's talking about, but it's also one of those moments where it's like, you're never going to see all of these people that you, you get so close to uh, all at once. So you really do want to be able to have conversations with people you talk to online every single day and whatnot. And and really just seeing like the Tower Gang, for example, in person, like made me really just so happy because those are some of the closest people I've gotten to. Um, I mean, I get a, I've, I've gotten close to so many people in this community, but um, Tower King I'm very close to. Um, obviously, you, Adam, and Kyle I've gotten very close to as well. Um, and of course, just seeing Scott again. Seeing For some reason, Scott's one of those people that like I almost have to slap myself because he's someone I grew up looking up to. You know, but the fact that like Scott Horton knows who I am is like crazy to me. Like it's like a 13 year old like version of me could like see like me now be like, oh my gosh, I'm friends with Scott Horton. It's crazy. I mean, I'm not friends, but you know, I got Scott Horton knows who I am is like wild to me. I'm sorry. I'm kicking over Scott Horton right now. I'm sorry. I apologize. But it's almost I better <laughs> when you meet, uh, I guess, people of interest. If you if you know nothing about somebody then it's so much easier just to be a normal human being around them versus when it's someone that uh, you've listened to a lot or really look up mm -hmm. to or really find intriguing. That's when all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, I'm going to blow it. Or this guy, like you kind of build it up in your head. So that's why I thought Alex Jones, like when I first met him, because Alex Jones is a huge part of who I am. Uh, he definitely inspired me a lot. But then like when I started working for him and like when I like really got to know him as a person, I'm like, oh yeah, that's crazy. Uncle Alex. That's what he does. You At know, what it, age it, did you find Alex Jones? He's never a guy like I, I find. I'm, I mean, I'm a huge advocate for free speech. And so mm -hmm. in that regard, I like I and he's also as a person interested in broadcasting. He's top five broadcasters of all time. I mean, if you just look at what he's been able to do, the money he's earned and like, so he's an interesting individual. He's not someone I've closely followed, uh, but I'm curious to know at what age you found him and like what, because some of like the one time I turned him on when he got in trouble. So I turned him on and it was just pure demon talk. And I was like, all right, this seems like a little bit much for me, but God bless him. He's out there and he's not getting shut down and he's talking demons. Uh, so I'm curious to know, like, I don't know what I would have made of him if I found him at age 13. So I'm curious to know what age That's, you found Alex That at. was the age I found him was 13 years old. I found a link. Did I tell you the story? I found no. Alex Jones uh, on a link uh, to YouTube through a World of Warcraft forum. Because <laughs> when I was at that age, all I did was play World of Warcraft. I was the biggest nerd, okay? I had blue hair. I used to skateboard everywhere. I played the drums in a rock band, a punk band. And I played d and I was the president of my D&D club in high school. And I played lots of World of Warcraft. That's how I found Alex Jones. And later on, that led me to the Occupy Wall Street movement and, and the, the SeaWorld, you know, protests. And, and from there on out, I was just a little rebel with too many causes the, to count. What were um, the SeaWorld protests? Just get in the whales? Yeah, to stop to stop the breeding of whales in SeaWorld. I used I actually got so much detention for skipping three days of school to go protest SeaWorld. We drove from how the much, Bay Area down to San Diego to protest SeaWorld. And how many people does a SeaWorld protest uh you know draw? There was about 150 of us. Okay. They I was probably the that, only right? minor, but you know. 
they put an end to the sea world stuff right you're welcome okay there you go no because i remember as a kid going to sea world i thought it was fucking awesome well you know all over me it seemed great it is fun but at the same time it's like imagine living in a bathtub your entire life i'd be super clean i don't even get to take baths that often they got some bubbles (laughs) gross I was just, I've always, like, found something to, like, fight for. I've always, like, my entire life, I've always had something to fight for and fight towards. And I've always wanted to. You find meaning in protesting, whether it's Wales or Wall Street, you're showing up. I mean, not just protesting. I'm just, just, you know, whether it's reading or something or learning about something or investing in something or or just doing anything. You want to have meaning to your life. You want to be passionate about everything that you do, you know? Uh, And I think it's what comes down to it is, is. As a comedian, I think you can appreciate that, especially with the the past few years, especially this uh, rise in censorship, I think has definitely been an effect on you. And I think it goes to show is that we may be a bunch of, you know, autists on Twitter, you know, fighting for uh, some political reason. But at the end of the day, we're fighting for something. We're trying to make the world a better place. And we understand, hey, there's something going on right now. There's something that's that's drastic and needs to be changed. It needs to be stopped. Something needs to change. Something needs to be done. And I think, you know, I'd rather be considered that crazy conspiracy theory autist who has way too much time on her hands to care about things that maybe other people don't um, than just stand by and do nothing. And I know maybe that makes me, like, look a little crazy, but, you know, maybe I just care too much. But I'd I'd rather be someone that cares too much than not care at all. Uh, No arguments here. And uh, our caring has brought us both a little bit of censorship, uh, which I find... uh, I mean, firstly, it's just creepy. I don't have a large enough audience that they should care or even notice the fact that I'm saying things that uh, they wouldn't like. And everything that I've done has been, firstly, the show is called Run Your Mouth. Uh, I pretty much say I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. If anything, I do, I'll even, I've even said on the show, I will bring on people without vetting them. And it's up to us to decipher, like, I invite anyone. You want to come onto the show and just, totally lie to me about being a scientist and misrepresent information, I will hear you out. It's up to us to kind of figure out how to have the mental faculties to decipher fact from fiction. And like, it's interesting to me if someone can just come on and bullshit to us. Like, it's not about that. It's more to me about kind of the critical reasoning. Speaking particularly of the Corona thing, which uh, has really fascinated me over this past year, because I can just, uh, I can pick up on when I'm being lied to. If I have a particular skill set between comedy following the news working in sales a little bit of the talmudic like just logic floating around in my brain i can tell i can tell very quickly who's trying to lie to me and how they're trying to spin the information and then it's fun to kind of unwind what the real information would be the two cases where i was censored in regards to corona was simply reading the pre-trial study for pfizer and saying this doesn't look like uh favorable information i don't know why you'd have a mandate about it that was a question that i asked got censored on Twitter for asking the exact same question. And then the creepiest part from YouTube, right? When I got the censorship, it was because they said you were questioning the official narrative. They're not even saying that you're putting out false information. They're actually letting you know you're not allowed to question the official narrative. That is like, which is beyond, that's like a different level of censorship. That's not just saying we don't want people giving false information. It means you're not even allowed to have critical reasoning or ask questions about the information. And so the fact that I was flagged as a not predominant famous individual 
and only asking questions and in a way of saying, hey, I'm not 100% sure here, do your own research. I was pretty surprised to, to have been censored. And this is now, uh, I've had at least two strikes on my YouTube channel and then at least one thing I know of that's been pulled on Twitter. So I hand it over to you to let us know what 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 have been your encounters thus far with this tech censors? Well, it's actually really interesting to bring it up because my biggest thing, you know, when I was in college was censorship. I went to UC Berkeley, home of the, you know, home of the free speech movement, as they consistently talk about when you're on tour, when you're touring their campus. Um, the fact that everything happened that it did, the fact that, you know, Sproul Plaza basically went up in flames when Malionopolis went to go speak there. Uh, the fact that professors have give, have downgraded their students simply for different political ideologies. Uh, the fact that the Berkeley mayor, mean? it means purposely give them a less, uh, a, a worse grade than they actually deserve because of their political ideology. How can you prove that, like that you got a worse grade just because of? Uh... Well, think about it. If you look at, if you say took an assignment to two assignments, right? One student had one political ideology, the other one had a different political ideology, and they followed the exact same instructions. And let's say they, they didn't. We, we actually did a tester on this. They didn't. They followed the exact instructions. They didn't write the same thing word for word obviously because they can't it's different political ideology but followed the exact instructions to what was meant to be written gave the exact same synopsis gave gave a perfect thesis but because it had an idea that the professor himself or herself not to dox anyone um didn't agree with one person got an a and one person got a c plus or a c or a b things like that and what, and you were able to recognize enough cases of it to... Like... Oh, yeah, there were several cases of this throughout the entire university. Uh, there were cases where the Berkeley mayor, uh, you know, he told the police of the Berkeley police to stand down during the Berkeley riots. So you have these police officers who'd stand by with shields and batons and, and tons of pepper spray on them. And, you know, despite the fact, you know, they would literally just stand to the side and watch people just bash each other's skulls in and do absolutely nothing. And people in MAGA hats would still walk by them and say, thank you for your service, officer. You know, despite the fact the Berkeley mayor told them to stand down. Now, don't get me wrong. People complained, well, the Berkeley mayor told them to stand down. Doesn't change the fact that, you know, they may be doing their job, but they're still doing a very crap job. Can, um, in both of those cases, I, I always get fascinated by... Uh, both why this doesn't happen or how we could make it happen more often. But I would think that if you could prove that a professor uh, has clearly given like a certain demographic of people worse grades, that there could probably be a pretty good financial lawsuit against that person of saying, hey, here's typically speaking the kind of employment that certain grades will bring to people or here's like the loss of self-esteem when people get bad grades and they realize they don't have like their 4.0 and here's how they stop trying. Or also if there was actual like damages to property uh, or kids, like, you know, all of their talk about saving lives and even one live, I would think that if someone was instructed, if someone instructed the police not to do their jobs, even if it's the mayor, and then you end up with incidents of, uh, you know, at, like violence where someone has a concussion, broken arm or whatever, you'd be able to sue for damages uh, in either of those cases. Like, I, I guess, did it escalate? Did someone try and go after these individuals or is it just kind of protected class? And they both, you know, both both cases just kind of disappeared. There were cases where people tried to sue the university. Uh, nothing went through, unfortunately. Uh, you know, and listen, it also 
boils down to the fact that a lot of these professors have been there for years and years and years, and that helps them get away with a lot of the things that they do. Uh, for example, there's one professor I had, a sociology professor, who blatantly said that the Chinese eat white rice because they want to be more like the Europeans, despite the fact that the Chinese have been cultivating white rice for centuries, long before becoming in contact with the Europeans. Um so what it, is, it, is that it, just uh, they what like eating white rice will make you whiter? Yeah, that's what that was what he was claiming. Despite the fact that again, Does the white Chinese rice make you no. You like, have you ever heard this? That eating enough white rice will turn you whiter? Will it grow my hair back? What else can it fix? <laughs> I mean, again, they were they were cultivating white rice long before they were in contact with anyone from Europe. So. Not only is it blatantly false, I'm surprised. I, I even said back then, I'm surprised that he's not being fired or, uh, you know, you know, brought in for not only giving up, you know, misleading information, information that can be deemed well racist. And sure enough, nothing actually happened. Apparently, he's been teaching that exact same course with the same false ideology for many, many years. Many people have taken that class and were told the exact same thing. Uh, so... The things that professors get, that they can get away with just because they're on tenor is pretty crazy. I uh, I, I forgot which book it was by uh, um, Charles Murray, but in one of his books, he talked about uh, a Madison fund, which was essentially an insurance fund for lawsuits against the government. Uh, and when I hear about these cases or the cases of people losing their jobs right now, uh, I like it's one of those solutions, which is really interesting. And he put it out there more as an academic to say, hey, I think that this would work. And specifically, he was talking about like EPA regulations that it, we could essentially make it unaffordable for the government to try and legislate these things. If because usually the government kind of like picks random individuals and they've got a lot of financial power. And so they can just decimate random individuals because they've got more financial power to bring endless lawsuits. But if the random individuals were kind of all pulled together, because at the end of the day, government's working off our tax dollars. So if we were pulled together in an insurance fund where if you were attacked, you basically had a gigantic legal lobby behind you, it would kind of change the playing cards. Um, I wonder if there's like some sort of a way and I'm just big picture of creating some sort of a uh, public fund for lawsuits to start taking on more of these cases, because I feel like there's a lot of ways that we could be punishing these bad actors it's just that you know it, it's almost like an organizational problem i don't think there's an issue of the organization i think it's a factor that we have a state we have a government that doesn't work uh because no government should work uh and i think it, it boils down to the fact that we don't really need a state at all the fact we have a state that involves itself in such businesses like this and and uh you know propaganda and the education system and telling us whether or not we can protect ourselves with firearms or anything of that nature telling us what we can and cannot say uh and this is goes back to what i said with the constitution everyone who you know everyone i hate to say boomer type maga person but all these people who always go back to the Constitution seem to forget that the Constitution implies that the government gives us our rights. I don't need a piece of paper to tell me that I have the right to defend myself. I don't need a piece of paper to tell me that I have the right to tell people what I want to say. That is a God-given right that I was born with. The fact that we have a Constitution in the first place is very sketchy because look at what they're doing with it right now. 
at the end of the day, I don't think lawsuits are going to change anything. I don't think, you know, voting is going to change anything. I think the best course of action is to move to a place like New Hampshire and secede. I'm in Florida right now. Florida's temporary, but honestly, Florida could succeed, secede. I'd be very happy about that. We're uh, we're in Florida. I am currently in Fort Lauderdale. Nice. Um, no, I, I'm all for states' rights, and I, I hope some states start. I, I hope California does it first, so then Texas can almost match California's bluff, and then the liberals started it, and then it's like a little bit more likely to uh, uh, to fly without war. But to get back to the censorship issue. So I know that one of the things that you particularly had online was you had put up an AOC video, uh, which was mm -hmm. on uh, that craziness that she wore a tax the rich dress uh, to uh, as a wealthy individual in the 1% attending the most elite party that you could possibly attend. I don't think there's a more elite party, maybe Obama's birthday or maybe Besides when Beyonce the Rothschild, a party. the Rothschild's ball. That yeah, exactly. Bad. There aren't too many parties more elite than the one that she was showing up to, surrounded by people in masks, wearing while she's wearing a designer dress and not wearing a mask, and get like the experience that like if you were to like a like it's a very much eyes wide show. shut for sure. Yeah, it's it was like very a much eyes wide shut. If you could be a child from the Bronx and look at the glamorous attention you could get. Uh, so I'll hand it to you because I, I know that you had a, a, a take on the situation, which I'm sure is similar to mine. And I know that you were censored for it. So let's get my channel censored as well. The lack of self-awareness AOC must have. And she continues to talk about how she's from, the, she's from the Bronx and she's, you know, from working class and blah, blah, blah. You're not working class anymore. Once you start making over a hundred thousand dollars a year, you're not working class. And to top it all off, the fact that she's saying, quote unquote, tax the rich. It's like, honey, you are the rich. But you won't be taxed because you're living off taxpayer dollars. And that's the problem when it comes down to it. We are not supposed to have what is now career politicians. We are not supposed to have this. In fact, AOC has become the very monster that she claims that she was going to fight against. And she's not doing anything about it. I'm not sure if it's because of a lack of self-awareness or because she knows what she's doing and doesn't care. But AOC has become that very monster. She's become the elite. She's become the person who makes false promises. She has become the very person that is feeding off the suffering of the working class. It's like, sure, she may have she may have started from the bottom, gotten to the top, but she's not doing anything to change things for those on the bottom which she came from. I guess in AOC's case, we're actually lucky that the uh, promises are false promises, because if not, she'd be taking down the buildings, uprooting the roads and <laughs> instituting green energy. So well, remember, we need taxes to pay for those roads, Robbie, those roads. Well, that never roads. Seem and, to some, work. and somehow that's going to be energy efficient. Like whatever happens to recycling, why don't we just leave the building up? Call it recycling. Instead of taking the building down, we're going to recycle it and just let it stay in place. So back to, though, your experience. Did YouTube at least tell you why they censored the video or what, what was the reason that they at least stated? Because uh, I believe that was the video that was pulled down, right? No, that video is still up. The video that was pulled down was the video that uh, was was before it. And that was talking about uh, that was my second video as an update on the Nicki Minaj video. And that was taken down. Oh, and what was the what was the take that uh, YouTube flagged you for? They didn't really give me a take. They just said it was misinformation. And did you? Because every single time I always send them the most lawyerly, legally, and they, 
They couldn't yeah. tell me the exact source of misinformation. That's the problem. Is they tell you it's misinformation. But they won't tell you what it is misinformation. Right. I always That's send, the problem. I always send a hilarious email. It goes nowhere, but I still laugh at it every single time. Where I say, uh, I, 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 I say. Thank you so much for uh, letting me know that I violated the policy. I would like to be a good contributing community member to the YouTube uh, community. And I'd like to fully understand what exactly I did wrong to ensure that I would never violate your standards or practices. Please educate me so that I could be a better contributor to the YouTube environment. Uh, and even with that framework, they won't give you a response, which I know that they won't, but I just like to... I like to really Jew lawyer it up and say, hey, I'm looking to just be a better contributor if you would just let me know what I did wrong. But they don't they don't give you any such information. Well, it's the thing. It's 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 not about creating content that you want to. And if you're in politics, you'll always be pushed down in the algorithm because now they're only showing Fox News, ABC, CNN. And it's really sad because growing up, the Internet is not what it used to be when I was a kid. It's not has not been this sanitized. When I was again, I found Alex Jones when I was 13 years old on a World of Warcraft forum. And I was watching, you know, when I was 16 years old, watching Tim Pool on the streets of Occupy Wall Street. That was a huge thing for me. Nowadays, you, you don't get that anymore because when I was a kid, this was a big deal because while my parents were watching CNN and ABC and things like Fox News, I was in my room on youtube and that's where i got all of my information that's how i learned about ross ulbrich that's how i learned about snowden that's how i learned about julian assange that's how i learned about everything that i am building myself up to and it's really sad for the next generation because we're never going to get that level of teenagers again and it's really sad because the whole the greatest thing about being a teenager is rebelling i can't wait to have kids who tell me i'm wrong about something but what scares me about this current generation is that they're all on TikTok. They're all on YouTube. They're all on what, what websites do these kids use nowadays? I don't know. But I mean, they're all using these websites that are blatantly labeling things as misinformation. And all they want to do is push, hey, kids, eat this food, buy this product, do this, do that. I mean, if you look at the most things trending on YouTube and TikTok, it's the, the Amazon products you need to buy. It's all about consumption. It's not about understanding what's going on in the world. It's all about distraction. You know, my, only, my only hope for kids is I could not have been a bigger idiot or like dumbass. I just couldn't. I didn't show up to school. I drank and smoked my whole way through high school. Like I, 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 I was a dumbass. Like I really was just a dumb, dumb kid. And somehow, I mean, I, I feel like I've somewhat found my way. So I don't know. It's like kids will be kids. They'll play with their TikToks. They'll they'll rot their brains on video games. And I don't know. I just. But speaking to your point, what I what I do feel bad about kids for is that there was an open landscape to the internet, which was more interesting five or six years ago. Even when I was in college and I was writing my essays, uh, one time I don't know what essay I was writing, but I came up across an article by George Reisman, which I can't refine. Talking about dollar diplomacy just changed my mind about. Everything in the world kept that guy's name. Later, I went back and read some of his blogs, changed my opinion on everything. Uh, you would not find that in a Google search now. It just wouldn't happen. And most of the top page of Google now is larger corporations like Amazon. Like you're not going to find independent websites anymore. You'll find retailers on Amazon. Like everything's become basically a digital mall. You have to have somehow figured out it's how all to about work consumption, consuming. It's all distraction. That's all it is. What's your favorite sport team? What are you buying today? What are you eating? Are you going to this restaurant? Blah, 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 blah. It's all a distraction. Have you ever seen Spirited Away? No, I've never even heard of it. Oh, my goodness. You need to watch. 
I need to get you Miyazaki films. So Spirit Away is a Miyazaki film. It's also from the same creator of My Neighbor Totoro, um, Princess Minoki. Uh, he's one of my favorite uh, cartoonists of all time. But Spirit Away, the entire uh, base of that movie is essentially consumption and and, and how much consumption actually uh, hurts how, how it hurts personality. Um, there's this character called No Face, and he presents gold to these people so that every time he gives them gold, he eats something. The problem is, though, is that they run out of food. So then he starts eating the people and starts taking in the personality of whoever he eats. And that's what's happening right now. You see these kids on TikTok, and they're, they're developing these things called aesthetics. And they're pretending as if these aesthetics are personality tropes. You know, instead of actually developing themselves as people and learning new ideas and creating and developing themselves over time... They're, they're taking in, you know, whoever they are based on what they consume and what they buy. And this, of course, is very toxic because later in life, they're going to have a lot of existential crises. You mean because they don't have personalities? Exactly. I mean, right now, during in your teenage years, that is the time to develop personality. That is the time to develop yourself as a person. So if you have an entire generation relying on a, t- on a TikTok to tell them what their personality should be based on what they consume and what they buy. They're not really going to know who they are as people. They just know if I buy this product, this is who I am as a person. And then later down the line in their twenties and thirties, they're going to break down emotionally because they really don't know who they are in the world. That's an, that's interesting. I've never thought about that. So that like, I mean, I guess I don't interact with kids all that much because I'm not a creepy human being, so I have no reason to interact with them, and I'm not on TikTok. Well, I'm a nanny, so it's my job. So. Oh, there you go. So you get to see these kids, and they're TikToking away. But and then I see them with my little sister. I mean, I'm. No, it's interesting. So, like, the, the model is that they're fed content around their consumption, which means they're—I I don't get it. Their identity is more wrapped into what they're consuming, and so, it, like, at some exactly. point. At some point, they're either just going to continue to buy things and then feel like, I don't, I, I'm not sure I totally follow the logic on this one. So think about it. If you are on a, let's say like TikTok, right? And you're constantly being pushed. Well, this is like what you need to buy. This is what you need to do to fit your aesthetic, right? It's all about the aesthetic now. It's not actually about who you are as a person. So these right. kids, instead of actually developing themselves with skills and ideas, they're buying things. And that's the problem. So they're doing a quick fix by buying things on Amazon or whatever, and that's their entire personality. No No one will have money anyways, and then they'll have to figure out something to do. That's the problem. No one will have money anyways, and the only thing that they're going to know is what clothes they're wearing, what's their decor in their room, blah, blah, blah. They're not going to know how to cook. They're not going to know how to, uh, you know, sew. That's got to be a girl. That's got to be a girl thing. The core of the room are guys getting that warped into TikTok that they're not just dancing, but they're concerned about room decor. It's getting to that point. Yeah. It's uh, what you consume is your personality now. So it's going to be great. At least when I'm 40, I'll probably be able to pick up a bunch of 20 year olds because all the other dudes are going to have these, uh, you know, the small, the small, uh, penises because of all the plastic they've consumed and they're going to have like brains that are completely rotted out from TikTok. Yeah, but then you'll have a girl whose brains rotted out as well. It's the problem. I can work with it. You know, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to be forward looking. Uh, G Mike, let's take a minute and let's take a look at the uh, YouTube comments. And then we're going to get into another topic. And while you're pulling that up, I might as well plug one of our sponsors. Uh, yo, Kratom, Yo, Delta for all the people over there over the age of 21. If you're a marijuana smoker, 
uh, yo, Delta is pretty great. Ships right to your door. Or uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Kratom products. Be careful, not for daily use. But every once in a while, if you got a lot of work to get done and you want to boost that dopamine and get in the zone, I, uh, you know, get after it. All right, let's, uh, let's check a couple. Let's start with Alex Hatch, who I just met out in Texas. Offered up her home for summer porch tour. Might happen in 2022. Probably not going to be for my pre-Mexico gig. And uh, she's come in with a lot for us to work off of with the high Robbie and Ashton. So welcome to the show, Alex. Nice to have you here. What else we got? Come on, GMAC, pick a big one. Uh, where are the white women at? Right in front of you. And I have a vagina too. So you got two women in front of you. What are you giving a shit for? All right. What else we got? Keep up the good work, Mr. The King. There's no the in there. You know, what are you adding? Pay some respect, buddy. Uh, did Ashton meet Eric July? That's a question for Ashton. Eric July is a good friend of mine. I met him a couple times. There you go. All right, let's go uh, two more. Let's go blank slate. He actually took the time to write something out. SeaWorld orcas are happier than wild orcas. False. Their needs for safety, food, healthcare, and social connection are much better than why for wild orcas. Do you? Oh, I see where they're going with this. More about orca freedom. But you're more about orca freedom. Sorry, well, I, I, I didn't that, read it. It's right. like the typical meme where it's like the lions in the cage, and it's like he has all the food and the safety and blah blah blah. But the lion out in the wild is actually free. The lion in the cage is not. So I I I, I see what they're going with this. I okay. think my problem with the uh, with the shows is that they don't they're boring. I'd actually like to see the Japanese guy harpoon him on the spot. Like if we're gonna have a whale show, let's go big with it. You know, let's 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 make like a like a presentation of Moby Dick. <laughs> And then let's actually fucking kill the whale so that it's a full show. That's going to be my take. All right, Scott Schultz. Have you seen the South Park episode? Oh, uh, Where wait. they convince people that the, the chicken and the cow are the ones who nuked yeah. Japan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know that I saw that in full, but I definitely saw a little bit of it. All right, let's go. Uh, let's take two more. Kyle Ruff's hanging out. What's up, Kyle Ruff? Nice to oh have you in the live stream. Mr. Mustache himself. Oh, he's got a great mustache. Um, but no hair on his head. Blown no, he's got a full head of hair. What are you talking no, he about? Yeah, he's been roganing it up. Kyle Ruff's got hair. You're confusing me and Kyle. I mean, it's it's barely holding on, but every libertarian man can. is bald to me, honestly. All right, and we got we got uh let, let's uh let's hop into a couple other topics for a few more minutes because the incredible bow tie here, uh bow tie boy is here to uh teach me some economics. Uh, we're not going to add him yet. Uh, Anton can hang out for uh, about ten more minutes because there were a few other cop um questions i had for ashton uh and the next one i had for you is this you took a trip that i have to take i've never done it but um this upcoming year i wasted this past year following uh everything corona for next year i really mm -hmm. want to get back into the fed uh, i think what's going on with esg scores and their new way of pushing global communism is a fascinating story i was hoping to cover it in depth for my end of year project uh, but there's a little bit too much meat on the bone. And I, I I just I wasted too much time with the Corona story. I know that you have also done your homework on the Fed. You put out a fascinating video about it and you visited you. Jekyll Island, which yes, is a place sir. I absolutely have to go to. So I'm curious to know what it was like actually seeing Jekyll Island. Oh, my goodness. It was so wild. So here's the thing is that everything I said in that video, everything you'll read in the creature on Jekyll Island, everything you can read on Wikipedia, they will tell you. At the resort, like on the tours, like they don't even fake it. Like, yeah, 
Like all of these horrible people tied to the banking industry came down here on a fake duck hunting trip and they all used fake names and they wrote the Federal Reserve here and, you know, they passed it through Woodrow Wilson because Woodrow Wilson's uh, chief of uh, uh, commander, or sorry, blah, 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 chief of uh, person Chief, chief assistant. I can't think of the word right now because I'm having a blonde moment. Let's just call but him the chief, the guy, the homie. He was there like during the written when they wrote up the Federal Reserve Act, which of course at that time was the Aldrich Plan. You can learn all about this on the resort. They even try to hide it, but it's really interesting. It's very eerie because they have all of the original like places that the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers used to stay at, like all these different things. I'll tell you, they have pictures of of you know. Just like war among the, the typical people that like people like me and you just like ugh, at, you know, like people like George Bush are shaking hands or, like big time bankers. Like they don't even try to hide this stuff. That's the scary part. And this is all public information. This is all out there for the entire world to look at. I mean, just, if you can't go to Jekyll Island yourself, it's a beautiful island. It's very eerie if you know the history of it. Just go research it on Wikipedia. It's all you really need to do. Research Creature uh, creature on Jekyll Island. The book is amazing. I recommend the fifth edition. Just go look it up. And it's all there. It's all there for you to read. And it really just tells you how basically these guys... I'll try to summarize as much as possible. How these guys came together. They desperately needed a uh, economic plan for the U.S. These All of these guys tied to the big banking industry came together under fake names on a fake duck hunting trip, went down to Jekyll Island, and they wrote up the Federal Reserve Act, which was originally going to be the Aldrich plan. But, you know, Congress was like, hmm, you know, Senator Aldrich, this is all seems very fishy. So instead of actually changing anything, they just changed the name. And um, Woodrow Wilson uh, passed it within his first year of office. And that is how everyone's money in the U.S. is uh, controlled. And it all ties back to lobbying, ties back to the corporations, ties back to war wars it's 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 crazy and since the federal reserve has been enacted the first world war the second world war the great depression all that stuff has happened there's also one of the other things that's kind of funny about the creation of the fed is if you look at the the best book other than the creature from jekyll island is the best book and the fed if you're not looking to invest as much time in it is the easiest and most simple read uh, there you have it right in front of you. Uh, the other book, which is a, uh, the fix was on is an audio book available on audible, uh, which is a abridged version from Murray Rothbard's, a history of money and banking in the United States, a history of money banking in the United States probably has the best display, like the best laying out of the real history of like the inside story of a few of the characters and how they put it together. If you take the time to listen to the fix was on, maybe you can listen to it in one car ride. And I'm telling you, it's like it's like listening to the greatest con movie story of all time. But one of the things that I find very funny about it is basically you had uh, the Morgans and the Rockefellers were kind of competing banks and they kept getting basically their people into government and enacting legislation that was screwing the other one over. And then at one point they realized, hey, you know, we can just we can merge. We cannot compete with each other and basically create a monopoly here and be in good standing. Uh, and then, of course, obviously, the fact that they now control the money supply and all the other horrible aspects of it. Uh, but Ashton, having actually have been there, what I find interesting about just economic development is from the couple pictures I've seen, it doesn't look like it's that nice of a resort even. 
It's really not. Um, nothing has changed very much. That's the thing that really always bugs me. And and when we were there, when I was there, it was pretty dead. Like it was like spring break. It was completely dead. So it's not really treated as an actual resort. Uh, I know there's a few weddings that happen there. Uh, there are tours that happen there to actually tell you everything that happened. But the funny thing is, our politicians still meet down there. Big bankers still meet down there for secret meetings. So it, it it's still very, there's, there's it's very eerie to just walk around and look at it. It's very beautiful, but it's definitely not a place where I think, hmm, where should we spend spring break, kiddos? Let's go to Jekyll Island. How, how exotic. You know? I'm not. I've never been a person who wanted to like see a historical site. Like I just don't care. I don't really read that much, but for some reason, I uh, you need to I, see Jekyll Island. Yeah, as I because it 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 makes everything feel it it just it just prove you know it just it's one of those things where like you research something and and you dive into something you know something is so evil and so such has a huge impact on how everything is run today. That you you have to sort of just see it in person, you know. You have to sort of experience it in person. All right. So before I hand it over to the incredible uh, Bowtie Boy, there <laughs> were a couple other topics in the news that I wanted to uh, discuss quickly. Uh, the first is I'm enjoying the most recent uh, spin on pitching, getting the COVID shots. Uh, one aspect of the newest lie is that they're trying to talk about long COVID and that there's this fear of whatever they did, they, they call long COVID. And then also, if you've uh, even if you've gotten Corona, you might as well get one shot. That's their newest thing. Is like you should at least have you seen this one? It's what no, Gupta was pushing on Rogan, and it's what they're pushing in these articles. Is that like, listen, if you had the Corona, you might as well at least get one shot. Uh, and I don't think they have any evidence to support this. It's just they really want these mRNAs in everybody's arms. They want everyone to have been compliant with it. And the most, uh, I, I saw an article today, which I thought was really funny. I tweeted it, might have been from The Hill, and it was saying that um, scientists expect that you had a six, only, they, they were phrasing it as only 16 months of immunity from having had COVID. And that was the reason why, even if you were relying on your natural immunity, you better get yourself a COVID shot. Now, obviously, the reasons why that doesn't make sense is firstly, 16 months from now, what if there was a natural evolution of the coronavirus, right? What are we looking at? What does that coronavirus look at that point? You're probably not looking at a deadly virus anymore. So it's probably not even going to be something I need to be concerned about. And how good will the therapeutics be in 16 months from now as Merck already had as a product out? Or maybe we actually do the investigation on ivermectin. Uh, so they're trying to spin this story however they can that you can't trust your natural immunity. And they're thus far they're not even coming up with good lies. Well, I think it all plays down to the fact that that this is a lot of this is being pushed by someone like Bill Gates, right? So Bill Gates wrote an entire book about how lying statistics. Don't get me wrong, I don't mind lying statistics. I don't mind it, you know, until it implies with the fact that it affects who I am as a person and imposes What's on me. That book, I never heard this. It's literally called How to Lie in Statistics. There you go. It's right. Like you said, <laughs> that's the most flagrant part about this. They don't even lie to you about the fact that they're being shitty. Actually, I'm sorry. He did not write it. He recommends it. Oh. So he didn't write it. But the fact that the number one quote on the book comes from Bill Gates recommending it. I'm sorry. I can't say he wrote it. Here it is right here. Here's a recommendation for it right here. How to Lie with Statistics. Daryl Huff. Illustrated by Irving Guys. 
A great introduction to the use of statistics and a great refresher for anyone who's already served on it. Bill Gates. Wow. How much of this, uh, like how, how deep into the Bill Gates conspiracy do you go in regards to Corona? Like, do you think he's actually uh, interested Sorry, in depopulating? Uh, God bless. <laughs> Sorry, oh, COVID. Do you, do you actually think Bill Gates is behind this thing and he's looking to depopulate? I mean, Bill, I mean, Bill Gates has like a lot of investment into it. I don't think Bill Gates per se wants to depopulate the earth, but I definitely think there is, I definitely think there's a conspiracy behind wanting to make sure people can't have children. And I definitely think that this virus, when it first hit, was created in a lab. And I wouldn't be surprised, you know, allegedly, because the Chinese government does have a history of killing off their own people. And considering the fact that the elderly are the majority of the Chinese population and they live off taxpayer dollars and they do not work. And Clean it just up so liabilities. You need better. And it just so happens that the virus, the COVID virus, um, acts very differently than any other virus. So m- both my parents are doctors. And even they'll tell you. Uh, despite the fact they worship Dr. Fauci, they'll tell you that this virus makes no sense because any other virus would cling to a healthy person to survive. And the fact that this virus is first going after the elderly, people who are sick, and attaching itself to those who are already sick, the elderly and whatnot, makes absolutely no sense. It's almost like the virus is trying to kamikaze itself, essentially. Um, so I'm not surprised that we found out all this information. I'm whatever, (laughs) but doesn't matter. The point is, is that I'm not surprised that this was made into a lab. This was made in a lab. And I wouldn't be surprised if this virus allegedly was made to attach itself to the elderly population that was living off the taxpayer dollars in China. Nice. If we could do that at SeaWorld also, then we got a full day's experience. Um, <laughs> all right. Last topic I wanted to get into because I thought that this one. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. I had two more. So uh, the incredible Bowtie Boy is going to have to wait a couple more minutes. The other newest spin that I've seen, I saw two NBA players, both Magic Johnson and I think it was um, uh, Charles Barkley basically saying, you got to get this shot for other people. And then I even saw an article with Colin Powell's death saying we're not doing enough for the elderly because we got to be doing more for other people. And what bothered me about this is like, okay, I feel like people are always telling me I have to sacrifice something for them. So what do you like if we're playing this team game? Like, can I can I go have sex with Colin Powell's wife? Do I get to share some of his money? Like 20 year olds are not going to get back being the age of 20 to 30 years old, 30 years old, you don't recapture that energy. You don't recapture that, that, that your youthful spirit, the life that you can experience in those years and your ability to build a career, right? The energy, I can tell you, I work two jobs. I mean, I still do work two jobs, but like the hours that I used to work at a day job and then stand up comedy in my twenties, I didn't sleep much. I could not do that. Now you will never get back your youthful years of 20 to age 25, what are we going to give to kids age 20 to 25 who are going to have to take for like, if you really believe this, Hey, you got to do this for old people, which we've already made a lot of sacrifices for the baby boomers have sucked a lot of wealth out of this country. So what are they going to give back to these kids? 
Like, if that's what you feel, we got to do things for other people, then let's keep it equal. Like, fine. I mean, think about the baby boomers. They're the most privileged of all the generations. I know. I mean, a bunch really of think people. about it. They take everything and then they keep complaining that we like, that was their great they golden spoon in your mouth while they lived under the greatest wealth expansion in human history, which mostly came off of inflationary government policies, such as everything they did in the housing market, everything that they did with unions. Like they got the most favorable fucking union things like the, you know, our grandparents, if you're working as a New York city, like a uh, um, public school teacher, you know what your pension plan looks like? It, what, what social security is going to exist for me or you? Or like people now who are working those jobs, what do those pension plans look like? They sucked all the fucking wealth out of the system. Well, that's another thing too, is that baby boomers always say like, well, back in my day, I had to do this and this and this and this, and, and this is how it was. And it's like, you are bragging. You are bragging how easy you had it compared to the majority of millennials who have to go through what they do. And a lot of the times is, is, that boomers really do not realize how lucky they had it. And a lot of the times they don't realize how much, how much they voted to cause a lot of the problems that we currently have now for millennials and baby and uh, the generation Z. Uh, they don't realize that because they voted for the people that they did. I mean, to be honest, I don't think voting actually does make a difference. I honestly feel like that everything's already pre-planned, but at the end of the day, these people consistently talk about, well, when I was a kid, we got to do this and this and this. And they turn around and say, yep, war is a great idea. Let's cause more problems for our kids to go through. Let's cause more inflation. Let's cause more of a national debt for our children to go through and future grandchildren to go through. If we have grandchildren. Now, I would love to be a mother. I would love to have seven, eight children. That's my ultimate goal in life. Um, I'm at this point lucky if I have two children, if I find a husband. Because not only is the economic system dragged. The whole cultural is dra- the whole culture is dragged. How old are you? I'm 26. Ah, you got so much time. Are you kidding mm, me? And with science, I don't feel like I do. Dude, throw some eggs in the freezer. You got a good decade. You're <laughs> fine. Don't worry about it. Um. All right. So the last two uh, weird things. So that was one kind of manipulative thing that they're trying to pull of. You're supposed to be doing this for other people, and it's like, all right, mm-hmm. if we're gonna have a conversation about doing things for other people, so what are you doing for the groups that you're asking to make a sacrifice? Like it, it, it's always, you can't just ask for them to make a sacrifice. The other thing is I've noticed that um, the airlines uh, seem to have dropped some of their COVID policies without having much of a conversation about that the unions weren't going for it. And I do believe that there's some other strikes going on. Uh, and uh, there's always like this manipulative tactic with people where they try and go, hey, listen, no one else has a problem with this. You're the only one. And so the media thus far seems to be doing a good job of covering uh, the way that some people are reacting and do not like these shots to try and make it seem like everybody has gotten it and you're the one asshole who won't comply and your non-compliance is threatening to other people. Well, that's, that was the whole point from the very beginning. I mean, it, remember if you like didn't wear a mask, then you were threatening other people's lives. If you didn't get the first jab or the second jab or the third jab, you were threatening people's lives. Like It was never about what you want to do personally with your body, it was everything you do affects other people and you're the reason everything is wrong in the world. And a lot of what's going on right now is definitely a lot of fear-mongering and pushing people against each other and almost pushing uh, cult-like mentalities where people are being uh, almost pushed to harass and make other people uncomfortable with their own personal choices. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of fear mongering. There's a lot of hate mongering. Uh, 
to to uh, pressure people into making a choice they're not comfortable with. There's a lot of bullying in the world right now, actually. I've never seen as much bullying as I have seen. I actually think there's more bullying than there was during they're the Trump us. era. They're trying, to, they're trying to throw us out of the, uh, we're the real victims of cancel culture. Yeah, I mean, really. I mean, it, it comes down to not even just like uh, who who wants to say this or what. I mean, because think about it. It's not just people who are questioning COVID, like people like Nicki Minaj, when she just simply said, I want to do more research before I do anything. That caused so much hate towards her just by well, saying, you know, you know what? Read, so what, what does that research look like? <laughs> I mean, she just said, hey, you know what? I just want to know more. I have many questions. And then when she got a call from the White House saying, hey, if you want to fly out to us, she said, well, I can't I can't fly out because I've got a kid. Uh, let's do a phone call. And they said, OK. And she said she wanted that information to be public. She said she wanted to do a live stream. And then the White House then denied, you know, talking to her in the first Hilarious. place. Hilarious so that she, you can't handle Nicki Minaj for a live stream. Like yeah, you guys no, are supposed to be the, like, best, and the, the best and the brightest. It makes me wonder, well. like. If if the public already has, quote unquote, all the information they need on the COVID and the vaccine and the mandates and whatnot, why does answering a few questions from Nicki Minaj scare you? That's the thing I want to know. So there's something that we're not supposed to know they're scared of being questioned about. And that's why they're censoring so many people and canceling so many people. All right. So before I turn it over uh, to the incredible Bowtie Boy for uh, economics class, why don't we, uh, G-Mike, let's pull up... Uh, some comments again and uh while i'm doing this ashton why don't you just plug again where everybody can find you i am ashton birdie i am ashton birdie on youtube a-s-h-t-o-n-b-i-r-d-i-e and on twitter i am known as the ashton blaze t-h-e-a-s-h-t-o-n-b-l-a-i-s-e the ashton blaze where, on twitter. where can wealthy christian men uh hit you up so they can try and wife you up and you know procreate and get nine kids out there wait you're looking I, for seven i have an instagram uh, i'm also ashton birdie on there a-s-h-t-o-n-b-i-r-t-i-e if you're rich a real man and are, are you uh are you a lady I don't care if they're rich what i don't care if they're rich just just i want babies that's all i care about oh all right so if you have a, I have a dowry tool, we can live off that all right, let's take some comments. Here we go. <laughs> Roscoe. Uh, who's this fox? She just plugged. You got all the information. Pull up better comments, G Mike. Let's go. Show fee. Come on, don't be a bunch of guys. She was nice. Well, I mean, if you really want show. me to. I mean, that's up to you. You're trying to find a husband, and you know, it might be a selling point. I can't tell you. Uh well, some husbands might want feet. Who knows? You don't want a feet person, or maybe you do. I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm not in the feet game. <laughs> I'm not feet judgmental. Are you judgmental? No, I think feet's a lucky. There are kid. weirder things than feet out there, Robbie. I'm telling you right now. I believe it. Um, no, I think feet's a lucky fetish. If you can just go outside and be turned on by chicken sandals, that's a good life. So I, I wish I, I had had the feet fetish. If yeah, <laughs> if every time you go out to the beach, it's like, well, I guess I was gonna. All right, bad example. Let's move on. <laughs> Making me uncomfortable here. What do we got? Uh, Michael Chasen, bring on the bow tie boy. He is a hottie. That is true. Bow tie boy is a good looking. We're we're uh. Hey, maybe uh, we can make a connection between these uh, two handsome individuals. All right. No, let's take one more <laughs> comment. Uh, G Mike, what are you doing here? You're just scrolling all over the place. Just go down, get, get the latest comment. We'll call it a day. I sent Rob some silver. Hit me up. That is true. I did get some silver for silver for Mr. Roscoe. Uh, Ashton, thank you so much for uh, for joining me. Hope to see you at a live uh, event again soon.
Yes, hopefully soon. Peace. All right, let's pull up. Let's pull up the incredible bow tie boy. And while we're pulling him up, and let's uh, we can drop uh, Ashton off. Which all you got to do is go to the screen at the bottom. There you go. Look at this. And G Mike, uh, it's nice to have be back in studio. It's been like it's been two years since we've done one of these. Exactly. I know you've gotten older. What was that? I know you've gotten older. Do I look older? That's not nice. I'll throw you off the show right now, buddy. No, please don't. Please don't. <laughs> uh, let's plug uh, Sheath. Uh, I don't know if the incredible Bowtie Boy, have you picked up a pair of Sheath yet? If not, I'll get you a complimentary pair. You know, I have not, but I've been tempted every time I hear about uh, Sheath from I'm you. I'm going to have to. Dave. Here's the problem. You're a young man, so if I send you Sheath now, you're never going to live your, the rest of your life with another pair of underwear. It's... Uh, it matches your bow tie, keeps your ball separated from your dick, keeps everything propped up. I don't know if you're trying to send selfies or I don't know if you work out. It doesn't look like you work out. But if you do choose to work out in the future and you need something that will keep you cool and dry while you're out there, sheath the underwear, use promo code RYM. You're going to get 20% off. Uh, Mr. Anton, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. And I'll tell you what, if I do start working out, I'll do a photo shoot like Malice did and some sheath. We'll, uh, oh, yeah. Start Show that there. bulge. Show that bulge. Be the biggest bulge in Liberty. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How are you doing, Rob? Are you, I see you've got COVID survivor, not COVID Jesus. Is there, is there a reason you for know, that? I don't, uh, um, don't want to overwhelm people with my powers, and I don't want people coming to my apartment and requesting that I perform miracles for them because I haven't figured out how to monetize that yet. I haven't been able to get a hold of the Pope and figure out um, exactly at what what the cost is supposed to be for you performing these miracles. Uh -huh. And when you start getting checks from the government uh, for preaching socialist philosophies, there's a lot to being Jesus that I don't yet understand as I didn't grow up Christian. It's almost odd yeah. to me that God picked me. Uh, well, to I'll be, tell you what, I'm, yeah. I'm Catholic, so I think I can I think I can work that out for you. I Please. got Francis's number. I'll hit him up. We can get we can get the second care of. All right, cool. If I can just get them on the phone and uh, start getting some of that church money, I'll uh, I'll 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 take up the COVID Jesus mantle. Um, now before we'll get we get into in no time. <laughs> before we get into environmentalism, which is why I hit you up, I I I have a couple questions, and you've become my uh, my tutor, uh, my uh, my professor in the realm of economics. I'm fascinated by what they're calling the Great Resignation, and I've been. Uh, trying to come up with all the reasons for uh, why I think it's happening. I did some coverage on that in last week's episode. And one of the things I didn't touch upon, which hit me later, which is I think there's got to be a lot. I, I There's a couple factors, but the first one I'd like to address, I think some of this must be inflation related, that people are looking at what their hourly wage would be if they're working. They're looking at what they can purchase for that hourly wage. And some people are just going, hey, it's not worth it. I've got to imagine it's that. I mean, you look at like what Saki was trying to say when she was trying to justify all the the supply short supply chain shortages, right? And she was saying, "Oh, the reason why this is happening is because we wages are so high in America, and we've got so much demand that we're buying so much stuff that it's backed up at the ports." And so I really wonder if you're onto something there that as the inflation is working its way through economies, as Prices are going up at Walmart as goods are not being available at Walmart. There are more and more people that when they're seeing that they can stay at their job, that's increasingly giving them a lower income or they can run the risk 
of of trying to find another job because their current employer is uh, going to force them to get to get a shot. Well, then, yeah, I the the cost of rolling the dice and trying to find another job gets increasingly lower as inflation goes up. And I also think what you were saying of the cost of finding a new job becomes increasingly lower. I think corporations and government have exposed themselves that they don't really like you might have thought, hey, if I leave if I leave my job, I'm losing my spot in line, which is it's not that easy to get a job. I finally have a job and I don't want to have to lose this thing. And I think even some of the people that have gotten the jab and they're okay with getting it, they somewhat realize, oh, it doesn't take that much for me to be on the wrong side of a policy or for government to basically mandate my job away, which even before we were doing the job thing, there were some people that weren't in critical industries and weren't able to show up to work. I think the lack of job security of knowing, hey, if even if I work here every, like part of the incentive of working every single day is you don't want to be in the situation where you don't have a job. But if you yeah. know that, hey, I can be fired at any moment, Right. You might look at the five hundred dollars that you're earning this week and go like the five hundred dollars you're earning this week is not really worth it to anybody. Like if you can like most people, when you're unemployed, you don't go back to work like the next day because you don't need that hundred. You know what I mean? Like it's when, when you get broke, broke, you do. But what I'm saying is you're really there because you want the consistency of it and you don't want to have to find a new gig. But I guess both if it's easy to find a new gig and you don't feel that secure in what you're doing, like, you know, it makes sense. Hey, fuck it. I'm out. And as everyone gets increasingly more desperate, then yeah, if your current employer is saying you're gonna have to, you need to get the jab, or we're gonna fire you. Okay, there are a million other people that are hiring that have fewer than 100 employees, or that don't care either way. And so long as we're still in this environment where it's not mandatory for everyone, and so long as there are states in the union that are gonna not let you be fired for that reason at all, like in Texas. Well, then there's a lot, there are options on the table here. And I think more and more people are becoming more willing to, to explore other options as it becomes necessary, because this is kind of, I think that a lot of people are, they're seeing the writing on the wall and they're seeing where this COVID regime has ended up. And it's where, you know, people that aren't libertarians, they wouldn't have seen it, you know, in May or April of 2020. But at this point you can't not see it. And you know, everyone's seeing the videos from Australia and being, well, I sure as hell don't want that, that to happen here. And so people are, I think, justifiably getting worried and more willing to stand up. And so if you're if your options are you work a you work a crappy job that's going to force you to get vaccinated or you go work another crappy job down the street because everyone's desperate for workers too, might as well might as well see what that other job has to offer. And then I also think uh, another variable here is that leaving a job used to make finding health insurance very expensive. Uh, it was not easy to get yourself health insurance, and it was just a something you had to deal with. With the exchanges now and basically healthcare being on a tax credit system where the poorer you are, the, big, the more of a tab uh, government's willing to pick up. I'm going to have to guess the fact that we've socialized healthcare costs definitely in some ways de-incentivizes people from staying, you know, in their jobs and makes it easier to afford basically being unemployed. Yeah, I would have to say that I would have to I would have to agree with you on that. Any Especially, other oh sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. You're good. Um well it's just interesting to see that dynamic of how um healthcare has been a part of the American 
life since about the 50s and 60s. Now, once they initially tied it to employment, because it obviously used to not be tied to employment, then they tie it to employment. But then with it being tied to employment, then they add the subsidy on top of it. And so, yeah, you kind of have this, uh, you went from, okay, my my health insurance is in no way tied to my employment. So I can be pretty mobile with my labor to, as you said, now it's tied to my employment. So now I've it, it costs a lot more to lose my job. But with the with the push for greater and greater socialization of the healthcare, well, yeah, that kind of turns into, well, this is less of a concern for me because as you said, the poorer you are, the more, the more you can get on the, on the government dole as it were for, for healthcare. So any other uh, economic uh, reasons you can think of for this new environment where there seems to be a massive amount of people uh, leaving their jobs or just uninterested in working right now? I think we've, uh, I think we've, I think we've covered the big ones. Nothing uh, is coming to mind well, right at the moment. The, the only other one is there isn't, uh, at the moment, uh, necessarily a ton of competition for labor. And yeah. that if we actually had open borders and allowed companies just to hire, then all of a sudden people would be like, oh shit, I really, I like, I, I, my job is actually pretty, uh, you know, pretty easily replaced. So I better go get that factory or whatever shit job is available while it's still available. Yeah, but I also think it's kind of feeding into itself in the same way that, you know, each each person that resigns because of, you know, any type of COVID related reason that opens up another job that other people could take. And so I still think it's the still type of the dynamic where as as people become more willing to stand up for it, the cost of standing up kind of goes down because, I mean, you, everywhere you go, right? I don't, right? I don't know where it is up in New York, at least here I am in, in Tennessee and where I've been. You know, the, I've been a couple of different states the last couple of months. Everywhere has a help wanted sign. And so, like, if I if I weren't in a Ph.D. program, I would have no difficulty finding work everywhere. There are restaurant I went to here that said for the for the indefinite future, we're closed just permanently on Wednesdays and Sundays because we just don't have enough staff. And so I, I think that's kind of I think that's kind of feeding into it and kind of perpetuating it. I think, uh, Mr. Uh, G Mike, if you can click on the comment from a forum, which is the uh, most recent comment, I do think that this is a valid point as well. And he says it's too hard to buy a house. So people aren't really looking at getting a job so they can buy a house, et cetera. And I agree with that. I, uh, I think if you cannot reach your goals and I think for most people, as much as everyone pretends that they're interested in something else and being Peter Pan and a child forever, I think most individuals, if we actually lived in a society where you could work hard, have a house, raise kids and not feel like just petrified over the cost of all that or your job security or how you're going to pull all that off. I think most people actually, maybe when you hit your 30s, I do think most people would like to live that lifestyle when it looks like it's going to be financially just impossible. And so all of a sudden the money that you make, you don't even know where to put it. The stock market doesn't seem like it's good. Doesn't seem like uh, you're going to be just getting, you can't just buy a bond and go, Hey, look, I'm saving for retirement. So we're all kind of, I'm going to say because of government policy, somewhat living in limbo right now where you don't see, Hey, my career can advance. You don't see, Hey, I can earn money with interest, like on my money or, Hey, I've got a clear cut, except for the exceptional winners. If you're the exceptional winner who like yourself, you're getting a doctorate or you're building your own company or you're doing something really unique. And so there's that incentive structure in place. You're going to be working right now. But I certainly understand that, that if you're a typical kid and maybe you're going to make $600 at some shit job 
or you can just live at home and play the fucking video games and you can still smoke weed on the weekend and get by. I, I get, I get a forms point And I do think that that is a variable. Oh, definitely. I think especially I'm not, I'm not even sure it's, I think it's worse than being in limbo. Cause I think we're, you know, you, you and you and Ashton talked about the fed We're a hundred, uh, almost 110 years into this experiment, right? Well, not experiment, but we knew exactly what it was going to do. But we're 110 years, right, on into uh, the Federal Reserve. And so not only has it shifted our entire economy into just wanting to consume as much as possible, even on credit, we've destroyed not only the desire to save, but in many ways we've destroyed the, uh, the mechanisms to save. There is no... I mean, the fact the fact that so many people ha- feel like they have to enter even the stock market is a sign of an unhealthy economy. The fact that it is not it would not be possible for me to just take some of my money and set it aside in a savings account or literally put it under my mattress. And then by the time I'm 60 or 70, I'll be good to go. That is not possible. You cannot even in, in, uh, you can't even engage in plain saving. And that just shows how how. uh parasitic our economies become so it's i'm not even sure it's even limbo it's this push to hyper consumerism and this inability to even save if you wanted to and on that note with the inability to save uh and this feeling of uh hey i better consume because prices are going up uh what are your expectations for inflation uh, let's say over the next six months, like uh, you're actually in school, you're crunching the numbers, you're looking at the charts. We all know Janet Yellen's lying to us. She keeps trying to say it's temporary. Yes, it went from five to seven to you can even buy a box of cereal, but don't worry, it's only temporary and we're getting the supplies, the, the supply chains reopened. So, you know, you got the bow tie on. Uh, what do you got for us? You know, six months is a hard time. Obviously, being an Austrian, it's uh, predictions is something that I don't think is uh, very easy to make. Being an Austrian economist just means I can tell you what will happen given what has already happened. It's difficult to say that uh, uh, since we have created a business cycle, it will collapse in two months. That being said, I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon, especially when you consider I went to Waffle House the other night and they reprinted their menus. And on the top of the menu is a like a notice that says, hey, because of supply chain and labor issues, we're going to have to like, you know, we're going to have to limit our menu. We might reduce um, the, our seating capacity. And when you really consider that Waffle House thought it was financially advantageous to reprint menus and laminate them with this notice on them, I don't think Waffle House thinks this is going to get fixed anytime soon. And so I, I really think that... Uh, I don't see these next six months being uh, nice for anyone. And let's just look at the fact that Waffle House is slinging eggs, bread and sugar, right? So if they can't figure out the supply chains for, and they probably have perfect math on their customer base and how much eggs, bread and sugar they need annually, right? Yeah, I'm I'm sure Waffle House knows exactly what they're doing. Yeah, I'm sure they even have future contracts in their farm. So if Waffle House can't get eggs, bread and sugar, to the point that they have to admit to their customers, hey, listen, it's going to be a little bit different at the Waffle House over the next six months. It's probably going to look a little bit different yeah. around here. And uh, Michael in the comments has a, has a good point where he's talking about the inflation narrative has already changed from it's temporary right. to it's a good thing, which is just insane yeah. that they're, I mean, it's the same, you know, chocolate rations have gone up 25%, Rob. <laughs> um, 
and then on that note, I, I mean, I said this six months ago, not maybe six or four or five months ago when I saw a sign in my sandwich shop talking about inflation, like average people, like we talk about inflation all the time. It's a fascinating issue for us. We know it's out there to other people. They've either never heard of it or it's the boogeyman, uh, unless you were alive in the seventies. Uh, I think also as a lot of the markets are driven by human psychology and the way that people react to things. As people become more educated about inflation, it might actually drive them to consume more because they fear that prices are going to continue to go up, which obviously, at least in the short term, would fuel prices going up. Uh, so at least in the short term, based on what we're seeing, I think it's reasonable to expect that we will probably see more inflation. Uh, I mean, I, I'll, I'll pause there to see, but I, I assume you're in agreement. on No, that. yeah, I'm, I'm in complete agreement, especially when you get the once it really sets, once the inflation expectation really sits in, that's when it gets really dangerous. Because then you just kind of, you kind of really start kicking the can along. As soon as you expect that next month when you go to get your sandwich, Rob, that it's going to be double and everyone notices that and they start planning accordingly, then yeah, that's when you really get into the uh, running the risk of hyperinflation. Because and then, as soon as the expectation's there for it, it's it's gone. And, and what sucks for us or just people in general is that the only corrective measure would be for the fed to engage in a serious contractionary monetary policy which in of itself would also be really bad in the short term for the economy like i really don't see any path forward where it's not going to really suck for a little bit because it's either we go down the path to hyperinflation or we stop inflation where it's at but we're so far into that game that even uh even you know putting the car back in reverse is just going to be awful it's going to suck really bad for a lot of people and it's you know it's infuriating knowing that this is the position that we're in but it also really perpetuates this as you said this uh i need to consume now because if it's going to suck a lot more if that sandwich is going to be double in a month then i'm getting five today because it's gonna you know i'm not going to get the sandwich in a month i'm not gonna be able to afford it now uh, what was interesting to me is that Biden stepped in and he said, we're going to uh, have the pork go 24 hours. Now, it became obvious to me without knowing anything that that must have been a union issue and must have been that for whatever reason, even though there's hyper demand to, I guess, get more goods in and out of this port, for some reason, they're not doing it. It's got to be union or some sort of current government law uh, that they're not running at 24 hours because obviously there would be profits on the table. So either you're not allowed to start charging more to be working at one or two in the morning, in which case people don't have an incentive to do. In other words, there's got to be some sort of a flaw in the market that government was coming in to correct. Now, here's what's interesting about government coming in to correct. And this is not like this is not economically sound what I'm about to say. I'm using the wrong terms, but the concept I'm trying to portray is accurate. Government trying to step in to make changes to the landscape to make it seem like, for example, that prices aren't going up is almost in a way a form of a price control, which always leads to rationing. Right. So in other words, if like I think that all the supermarkets can't are going to uh, need to raise their price on bread to ten dollars and I go, you're not allowed to do that. It's got to be at five dollars. We all know there's going to be rationing because they can't afford to have that much bread at those prices. What do you foresee 
Biden stepping in to do to try and hide that there isn't inflation. He will step in and government will take measures to, because like we said, part of it is the consumer expectation. It's the confidence game. Like that's what they do with the stock market. They got to pretend like it's going to keep being fine because if we all panic, guess what? The illusion's gone. Same thing kind of exists with inflation. If everyone thinks prices are going up and everyone's running out there and they're consuming shit, prices are going to go up. So they got to step in and go, listen, you don't need to consume. Don't, don't go out there. Don't go crazy. More goods are coming to the shelves. The prices are coming down and they might be able to convince people. So I'm turning it to you to go, what, what kind of stupidity do you think they're going to try, which we know will lead to rationing or other problems? Yeah. You know, it's, there are a couple different things that they could do. As we already discussed, I think one is to try and convince as many Americans as they can that inflation's not a bad thing. That, right. uh, so you're getting I, paid more. Yeah, I mean, it's it was like it was literally that money. CNBC article, right? It was the, the one uh, good side to inflation: higher wages. Oh, imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think they're gonna try really hard to to convince you that nominal wage is that nominal wages are the same thing as real wages. Where, but eventually, that's gonna become impossible too, because even if you are duped by that. And you think, oh, look, my I did get a I did get a pay raise. You know, prices went up 50 percent. But, you know, now I'm making five percent more. That works out. As soon as people start to realize that their real wage has gone down. Then I imagine they're depending how far the inflation has already gone. I could see I could see them start to do price control type things because that's the the easiest play would be to say, oh, well, obviously, this is just because greed has gotten so bad in America. You know, Target and, you know, Cheerios, they just want too much for their products. And the Americans deserve better. You deserve your Lucky Charms, Rob, for $1.50, not $5. And I'll be damned if we're going to let them keep gouging you like that. So I could see them. I mean, it'd be so we could write the script for them. We could give it to CNN tonight. You know, it's going to I those are the those are the tools they have available. Do you remember, I haven't seen this in a long time, but it used to be if you went to a diner, I don't know why you would go to a diner and order cereal. You got to be a cereal killer. They'll make you fresh pancakes. They'll make you eggs. They'll make you omelets. But they used to have like little boxes, like really little boxes of like Raisin Bran. They were kind of fun to open. You remember those boxes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm waiting for the day when you walk down the cereal aisle and they're all just that size. <laughs> that's just that. Yeah. That, yeah, that's what it is. And like, they have to actually shrink the, like the shelvings where you're like, you feel like you're in a store for midgets. Cause like the shelves are up to here. Everything's just like a teeny tiny box. Oh but yeah. That's well, the other we kind of already see it, right? Yeah. Shrink- when you, when you look at the cereal boxes, they're so much thinner than they used to be. You flip over your peanut butter jar and that divot that's in the bottom keeps getting bigger and bigger. Ooh, I haven't noticed that. Pretty soon I could start rubbing some jelly in there and jerking off into it. That made no sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, but so, I mean, we're already, I mean, for all we know, you know, that could be a Babylon B article tonight, but in six months, that just might be the state of the world. Uh, All right. Somebody was uh, kind enough to let me know that I should have uh, people with dwarfism is the proper term. And you're right. Uh, In my uh, taking time to educate myself on all the COVID misinformation, I haven't been up to date on proper terms and I haven't been going to woke church where they remind you of the importance Mm. of using the proper language that's on me. I would like to apologize. I know that sometimes I don't use 
up-to-date terms. And uh, I promise in 2022, I will get back to uh, making sure that everything I say is above board. Uh, if you don't know the proper terms, Rob, what's even the point of synagogue? You know, I I, I keep showing up to these places and I, I'm not I'm not walking away with the proper message. All right. So I was reaching out. I am putting together my end of year project, which I keep plugging here. And I have a lot of live dates coming and playing a lot of cities uh, in the episode description. Full list is there. I It includes Albany, Mexico with the peddling fiction guys up at the shell with the free state project people doing two nights in New Hampshire, Philly, Chicago, which I've already moved some tickets on. Atlanta might be coming soon. Anyways, episode description, got a bunch of tour dates. Uh, you come back to Nashville again. Let me know. Oh, hell yeah. Why didn't you come out to, uh, uh I was, I wasn't in Nashville then. <laughs> All right. I, next Cause it, it was like the end of July, right? Or the beginning ne of August. Ne next summer. Yeah. Maybe while you were away at the, uh, Mises university. Yeah. I was still in Auburn. Dude. I want to go to that next year. I'm going to have to hit them up and uh, crash that party there and hit go. on some college chicks. Um, <laughs> do any show up or is it like every other libertarian thing I go to? It's Okay. There are you, there were like 10 or so. So, I mean, it's better than zero. Yeah, and look, let right. me tell you, the ones that do show up tend to be pretty, uh, well, pretty. Autistic. So, <laughs> no, that those that's the guys, yeah. But the, but yeah. the girls are the girls are pretty normal. There you go, you don't have to compete with much. Um, all right, so I am doing a piece on uh, global warming, and I was reading. I mean, I, I listened to like two books on global warming. I already know all the talking points. I already got my whole piece written out. My jokes are there. I'm not making any changes, but I was, uh, I did have some questions floating around in my head in terms of the libertarian approach. You know what? Let me just first, uh, before I get myself in any trouble here, uh, don't worry about global warming. It is a trick by the global elite to try and uh, have more centralized control over our economy and so that people like BlackRock can invent things like ESG scores that they can make non-profitable investments profitable at everybody's expense. Don't worry about global warming. Science is great and fossil fuels are awesome. All right. So now that we got that out of the way, my first question for you is within a free market environment, are there ever, I, I, maybe this isn't even the, the proper term, but is there ever free rider problems or negative externalities that there's some sort of a uh, byproduct of what I'm doing that isn't quite priced in. So let's go with, I'll give you two examples, then I'll hand it to you. First example, let's say uh, carbon actually does, right? Let's just go with the theoretical. Even if it's not true, let's say man-made carbon is having an influence on like, so is that something that we should start charging people for that? Like there should be a carbon credit system because like there's a negative externality and, you know, the market's not quite addressing that. Or here's another example. Let's say you've got a pesticide, which like will allow you to have bigger harvests, but we don't find out about the health problems related to that for 50, 60, 70 years, or it's like not really that easily measured. So the, the question just being, is there ever a situation in free markets where there's some like negative consequence that like a private individual is benefiting from and he's able to basically offset like the cost to somebody else that there's some sort of a market failure. That's the word I'm looking for. Do market failures ever exist in terms of like a pollution or some other, I guess, negative externality might be the proper term. 
you're the economist. I'll hand it to you. You can educate us. So there definitely is this idea of market failure in neoclassical and mainstream economics, but in the Austrian school of thought, that's not so much uh, an idea. And I think it's for the following reasons. So one, if you mean by market failure that things aren't going to be perfect, well, then obviously the market will fail in that respect. You know, the market will not be able to predict which goods will be will turn out to be harmful in 70 years as you said like let's let's take the let's take the pesticide example first if you the way market failure is traditionally defined i don't think that would be a market failure but if you just mean it to mean as i said that it's just kind of well you know we can't account for everything i think it's really important to remember that the market is not a thing that exists outside of uh, individual action the market is just the culmination it's the nexus of all voluntary exchange and who is at the core of every single exchange well individuals and humans and humans are imperfect you know we live in a fallen world we have imperfect knowledge so this i this idea that it's a market failure that some pesticide will turn out to be cancerous let's say in seven years and we just we couldn't see the connection that's not a situation that any type of government intervention could really help. And it's not the result of the market. It's just the result of our nature as humans and the fact that we can't know everything immediately. It's not, it, will it suck? Yeah, like if, if you're one of the people that you ate food that used that pesticide for 50 years and, and it gave you cancer, that's awful. But that doesn't mean, one, it doesn't mean that the government should get involved, but it also doesn't mean that the market, that the system has failed. It just means that we, we live in an imperfect world as far as knowledge and, and motives are concerned. And I think it's the, so I think when it comes so, to things like that, that's kind of where that's at. All right. So that does somewhat open up and I'm playing devil's advocate here because even like with junk food, you and I would both agree. If you want to go ahead and eat junk food every day of your life, you can go ahead and do so. And there's some people that eat at McDonald's every day of their life. And that that's the lifestyle. And you and I would say, hey, you got the freedom to do so. Now, we all know that that person is making a bad decision for themselves. And we also know that because we have socialized medicine, it does actually affect you and I because it's going to increase healthcare costs. Right. Because people are, generally speaking, being unhealthy. So we also like we know that in mass, if you look at it, most people, when they vote, they're too stupid to realize that the free goods and services are actually going to cost them money, that the debt structure is not a win. And so most people advocate for essentially dumb policies that everybody loses from, which includes kind of ignoring the fact that there's this factor of debt, right? Yeah. Like, um, okay. Potentially there's a similar thing when it comes to pollution uh, that maybe we're not acting in, in basically uh uh, like it, to the to the highest of our intelligence and on a daily like we're going kind of the easier route and so there is some sort of a destruction to the planet that like we're all will we're all making the choice to do the easier thing let's just say theoretically which is ride my car instead of the more expensive car or the more expensive gas or whatever the fuck it is there's some sort of a personal trade-off we could all be making that obviously we're all not making because we're human beings and we tend to make the self-destructive decision. And I, I, I don't, I don't buy into this philosophy, but then it becomes the question of 
is it, can we all get together and make the decision of, Hey, we're doing something dumb here. So we have to enforce something, enforce something different. Like why, why can that not exist? I don't think you, I don't think to be in favor of markets, you have to argue that that can exist. So one, I think you have to consider there are a couple of different things. Okay. There definitely is more pollution right now than there should be, but you have to figure out where that's coming from. And it's almost, if not all, at the hands of either government regulation or government interference. Like when you consider like water pollution, that becomes a much more, uh, that becomes much easier to fix if rivers and lakes and what if bodies of water are privatized. So th that is that is the lack of a market from government interference in that instance. And it's the same type of thing where, as you talked about, you know, we're so dependent on cars. Even that, in the 1920s and 30s, the federal government decided right. everyone needed Building a car. The roads. And Building subsidize gas policy, yeah, yeah, subsidize highway, subsidize cars. So it's very possible that we're in a situation that we're not supposed to be, as far as that's concerned. But that is the result of government policy, and is not the result of the market. And the way you get the way you correct for that would be to liberalize the market and get well, government is, uh, out of the way. This is kind of what Murray Rothbard had in For a New Liberty, where he mm -hmm. explains that. Um, most things, uh, most of these problems are actually a private property issue, which if you're destroying someone's property, you would have to pay for it. So like even let, let's just say if we allowed people to go by the sky or go by, you know, every piece of river, every whatever, and then they could prove that your carbon created this problem for my thing. So then it could be a way of kind of, I mean, that would be a little bit too, uh, it would be nearly impossible to prove any single individual. Well, no, that started that, to happen. Right. That started to happen at the, uh, towards the, the mid and the turn of the 19th century. What ha happened with coal, where these factories would have these, uh, these uh, what are they called? Chimneys. And right. they, would, they would blow the soot over and you would see that it would make your, uh, your, your clothes dirty. And so you could see those from the, like it was pretty clear from the, from the nearby factories. And what happened was is when these people, and initially these people would sue and they'd win. They'd get cease and desist orders on these factories. But then the government decided, especially in the United States in the 1980s, that we need to compete with Britain and industrialize. And so, right. yes, woman whose clothes got dirty. Yes, that was bad. But you need the sacrifice for the common good. And so what they started to do is the government then started mandating uh, minimum chimney heights because the higher it up is in the air. Yeah, the harder it is to determine where it's coming from. But at the right. lower chimney heights, it was pretty easy. Th this uh, field of forensics really started to flourish. Until the government decided that for the common good, we need to allow pollution. Get rid of it. There you go. So, so <laughs> even right. like you look in the history or the same type of thing where um, there was a case, it was some like wadding. It was there was a case in Georgia where the government ruled that all these any type of air pollution is not actionable. And it's like, well, okay, well, you've completely just you've changed, you know, property law, and you've and you've purposely made it more difficult to have a, a cleaner environment. And so these are, these aren't, this cannot be laid at the hands of the market or at the feet of the market, I should say at the, it's wholly on the government. All right. So, um, G Mike, my producer has a wife and kids, uh, even though he's gay, he pulled the Pete booty judge and he had a bunch of kids and I lied to him about how long I was going to be going for. So I want to get into the biggest question that I had for you. Uh, and then hopefully as I actually sit down and read, I'll have more questions and we can bring you on again. Uh, George Reisman had this principle that I was reading about that really I, I found fascinating and I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. And so essentially his theory 
was that when it comes to money, right? Money can earn interest. And so there's a purpose to saving money because money can earn interest or you save it, you accumulate more of it, you have more capital, and then you can allocate it into bigger and better investments. Or in a really perfect society, you can keep your money on the sideline. Uh, it should be a deflationary asset. And then when you go and you want to make an investment, you'll actually be able to do more with your money. Okay, that's all in theoretical model. Money is worth saving, right? In his point of view, even though he doesn't put it in this terms, the earth is not worth, I'm, I, I, when I say not worth saving, it's not like I'm saying we got to blow up the earth or that the earth's dying and we shouldn't like apply medicine to it. But earth is not like money. When you take earth and you process it and you essentially turn it into goods and services, you've put it into the economic system. And what's interesting about something being in the economic system is that that then contributes to economic growth, right? So like, in other words, dirt in the ground doesn't earn interest, right? If I pull that dirt out of the ground and I turn it into a brick that I sell to someone that's now money, right? So now this guy has, maybe he takes that and turns it into factory equipment or a house that he lives in and is able to do business on. And now I have the money to go put that towards something else. In other words, consuming earth puts it into the economy the economy grows. Now, here's where this becomes very interesting, is that economic growth historically fuels the scientific research and developments by which we become more efficient in the way that we basically consume the earth. So, for example, you might get to a point where, I mean, we're already at this point. We could be going nuclear, right? We don't We don't actually, we could be using nuclear. We've been doing that for like 40 years, yeah. And we're, we're just not doing it. So, like, let's just go back. So, in other words, there was a period in time where the only option was coal, right? And so an environmental person might say, hey, we better not consume this coal because look at what it's going to do to the environment. But Reisman would go, no, no, no. As long as we keep this economy going... And we don't take that approach. Science is going to come up with something better. And he was right. We could be 100% off coal and we could be on nuclear. But the other thing is we get better at like basically get like, I mean, even if you look at combustion engines on your car and what the gas mileage was in the 70s versus today or where we're able to get oil from, right? So you almost end up in this system where it's like the view of the earth is that it's like finite resources. And so, hey, we better leave things in the ground. We better save them. Uh, but his theory is more, no, to the extent possible, we better consume these things because if we consume them, then we have, that's what fuels wealth and scientific development, which will actually make maybe even our need for that item obsolete. Who knows what the next thing we might discover is that all, like we might even discover we don't need fucking farms. We might like, we might discover we actually don't need to eat cows that we can grow meat in a lab that's just as good. Who the fuck knows what we might, we might discover we don't need cars because we can portal ourselves. Like we don't know where the economy might get to. So let's not be afraid about consuming the earth because that is the tool that we have to kind of further this economic development. Uh, so I hand it to you because I, that, that's the best I understand of it, but I still can somewhat give the flip argument for that. Maybe it makes sense for if we don't have a perfect use for like something, maybe it makes sense to leave it there because like, for example, all right, like, uh, actually, you know what? Let me pause. I, I spoke a bunch, so I'm going to pause and then I'll give the reverse argument. So I hand it back to you. So I think you've got a good bit of it. I wouldn't um, say that what Reisman or Reisman is saying. It always shows you that... understand their work when you're not sure what their name is. And I, I suffer from the same problem. <laughs> 
Well, I can look. Uh, I believe it's the way it's spelled. I think it would be Reisman. So I okay. I, that was on me. Um, I don't think his position was that we just need to con consume, consume, consume. But I think what his point was is so. What I took it from that from that section is that conservationism has two things that presupposes that are wrong. The first is that all our economically useful natural resources, to use his his phrasing, um, comes from nature and not from capital accumulation and intellect. And I think he's right on this. And I think a good example of is oil. For hundreds, if not thousands of years, if you dug on your farm and all of a sudden this black gook started popping up, you were annoyed because you had you were just like, what the hell is this? You have no idea what to do with this. It made a mess. You probably spend the rest of the day cleaning up whatever that was. It wasn't until we had acquired enough capital and we had progressed so much as a society that people were able to sit around, look at that and be like, can I turn that into something? Can I, can I make that useful? Because the conservation mindset is that all of these things are just neutral or uh, useful in of themselves. And that's not true. Even an apple tree, it doesn't enter the economy until you pick it off the tree. It's sitting there does nothing for utility. It does nothing for humanity. And so I think that's kind of the goal he was getting at with that, where it's it's when we use things that they become useful to us and become valuable to us. That land that's sitting there is nothing unless we do. Now, there could be oh. there could be there could be uh, beauty and val uh, value and beauty of it. But that's something that you don't come to value until later, because when you're when you're a pre-industrial society, your objective is to eat and make it to the next day. And if the field has to be not as pretty, well, then you kind of deal because your objective is to, to so, eat, right? Yeah, but I want to ask on that because the soil is potentially a good example. I'm not a farmer. I don't understand how farming works. I do remember uh, learning about like crop rotations as a kid, but it could be that leaving a field alone allows like the nutrients to grow. So actually you'll be able to have better harvest in the future. It almost like doesn't like- But you only know that, that, but that's knowledge that came later. Right, but it still would be uh, somewhat against the pure consumption model because it does seem it, it, different to what I'd said earlier. It would suggest that even in nature, maybe there is a value in savings because sure. if you leave things alone, alone, actually, like resources grow. So, like for example, I could consume the rainforest, right? Like I could just chop the whole thing down, take all the animals that are in there, slaughter them, eat them, or whatever. Or I could go, hey, uh, like there might be some chemical compound and some snake I'm not aware of that's going to be incredibly useful in the future. So we better leave this thing alone because if we just consume this shit now for eating it, which is the best known cause at this time, maybe we're ruining some sort of a future opportunity or even your apple tree. I don't know much about apple trees. Maybe you end up with more apple trees if you actually harvest them or maybe if you leave your fields alone you might end up with more apples in the few. I don't, I don't know how apples work. I really don't. What I'm just asking is different to the way I understood it, that money creates uh money creates an ability to like, if you leave it alone, it accumulates more. Does that aspect exist in nature at all? Like, Hey, if I leave it alone, it might replicate more. Or I might have more of it. And so maybe there is a reason to not just jump on consuming it. So I think you're, I agree that it goes against the pure consumption thing you talked about, but I don't think that's what Reisman was trying or Reisman was trying to say. Okay. So I so I think there can be value in things sitting 
and things sitting, but that's something that comes from people coming up with their own subjective valuations for uses. And so I think more what he was trying to say is, say you have a plot of land that's sitting. If someone is willing to give you a million dollars for it, um, then it's then whether the person is willing to buy or sell is kind of how you determine what the proper use of that land is. And so it's more along the lines of, he, I think he was really wanting to push against the idea that anytime you use any resource for any type of production, that, that it has to be consumption and that it has to be therefore wasteful. I think he right. was really trying to push against this idea that me using oil right now is purely consumption and all it's going to do is make my grandchildren poorer. And that it's the same for every resource. And I think what he was saying is we can't, humanity and the economy grows through using resources. We can't have everything sit idle. Now, there are instances where things are worth sitting idle. You know, right now, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a Braves fan. I'm a baseball fan. The NLCS is happening right now. They're playing in LA right now. So the Braves stadium right now, empty. No one's there. It's sitting there idle. But that's okay because it, it knows its place in the economy. So this, I don't think that to, to be in favor of the market means that everything has to be used at that time. I don't think that was the point that, Reese, that Reisman was trying to say, that everything has to be used right no, now and that we have to use everything as quickly as possible. Doesn't that somewhat leave us in a gray area? And I'm playing devil's advocate here. But what that says is we're, we're not – there's sometimes in the macro we shouldn't like – we benefit from consumption and so we shouldn't feel like consuming earth is being wasteful because it benefits human beings and it actually will fuel the economic growth so that we can basically continue to grow and who knows what we come to in the future. So we shouldn't think like, Hey, that's like, that's been consumed, spent and it's gone. No, it's almost like, uh, I don't know. You can fucking go with your Bambi Pocahontas or, uh, the, what was that? What was that movie with the blue people? Like it's almost oh, like avatar avatar it's almost like that you know everything's got a fucking like spirit oh, or whatever smart. yeah it's like yeah the spirit lives on in the fact that we put it into the economy and it's going to continue to fuel economic growth so that tree that we we cut down it's living a it's got an afterlife which is that it's going to continue to create economic prosperity and make humans being human beings better off but that's true in some cases now we're now mm -hmm. we're in a situation where there are in some cases where the conservation would be better and we can also have that human beings are not always making like your rational independent actors are not necessarily always making the best decisions for humanity at large. The best example being like, you know, you could have your poachers, you could have your people who want to cut down some rainforest to make themselves some cocaine. You could have yourself like it does kind of put you into a corner where you go, well, maybe we do need someone to kind of step in and, and, and guide us in terms of what's the intelligent consumption and the unintelligent consumption. Like, it, or is there some sort of now you and I are going to go, well, who's going to be the regulator. And every single instance of a regulator is that they like, they're not as good as the market and the market's got better incentives for policing this. And so if we introduce a regulator, we know that it's not going to actually, uh, it, it, it won't, it, like it won't be a benefit or service to anybody, right? Like that. I mean, that that is what you and I will push back on, but it does somewhat present a issue where it's like, I guess, as a theoretical, if there was some sort of a perfect regulator, if it was almost like in that movie, uh, um, the day the Earth stood still, 
where the alien comes down and it's going to regulate morality. It's running off like a different software program. It, it, it does somewhat introduce the equation that if there was a way to actually do it, there are some instances where it might be helpful. So I think saving is good and is valuable in things other than money. I, we save various things all the time. I, I have this notebook here, right? That I've got some of my, my notes right. on. I'm saving it. I haven't used all of it. There are plenty of blank sheets of paper in this right now. So I don't think adherence to the market means that the only saving is through monetary uh, mechanisms. You can also save resources, which is why I, I really do want to stress that I don't think Reisman's point was that we need to consume as quickly as possible. But I do think that what you brought up is important and shouldn't be sidestepped or you know swept away that even th this idea that you could have an institution that could figure out what needs to be preserved and in what quantities is fanciful. There is no way that a government could do that. And the only way, the only even semi-functioning rationing mechanism that we have and know how to use is the price system. Right. And we see it in use in so many different goods. And there's no reason why it, one, there's no reason why it can't be used when it comes to land conservation, but also there's no reason to think that the government could do any better of a job. And we and see also, it with things like it, private funds, sorry, that, um, they like maintain like civil war battlefields. They're right. com completely privately funded. They just buy the land and say, all right, I own it. I get uh, consumption out of knowing that, you know, this battlefield has been perfectly preserved and that in itself is the consumption. And that's the way the conservation can go. Like, I think there are plenty of people that, if the options, if the U.S. government were deciding were, were to decide to liquidate all its assets, and that included like relinquishing its ownership, its ownership claims like the Grand Canyon, I don't think that there would be a McDonald's right on the edge, or someone think, just filling it in. No, I think I, I agree with you 100. percent Essentially, if we're if the idea is that some sort of more intelligent individual could actually step in and make a more intelligent decision than just some guy going, "Hey, I'm going to kill this rhino," it would more likely be billionaires or like some sort of a conservation group going, Hey, I think we need to do this. And if we didn't have taxes and everything else, they'd have more resources to execute on that. So it's actually something that could be addressed without the, uh, government regulation system that we know would be corrupted, like almost certainly, or certainly there would be no evidence to suggest possibly any other way. All right. I do want to let G Mike get home to his wife and kids. But before we do, was there anything else that you wanted to let the people know about this topic? Um, no, I think I've covered everything I wanted to say about the about the Reisman thing. I do want to uh, uh, reiterate something that whether it's pollution, whether it's any type of problem that you see in society, recognizing the problem is only a fraction of the things that need to be done. You then need to recognize what can't what can even be done to solve whether it's pollution, whether it's conservation, is there anything that could be done? But then it's the question of whether anything should be done for all these different, all these different questions. And I think we, a lot of people need to rid themselves of the idea. And this is where public choice theory did a lot of good work, where it was, it was pushing back on the idea that if there is a problem, well, then that means the government doesn't, that's the end of the conversation. But just because there is something that is perceived to be an issue that doesn't mean that the state can do anything about it. And also doesn't certainly doesn't imply that the state should do anything about it. And so it's the same thing with conservation, same thing with any type of pollution. And a lot of these issues are the result of the lack of property rights, not the, and they're not the fault of the market.
So I think that, you know, whether it's car now carbon is an interesting one, but I still think you would have to figure out a way to explain or to show who the victim is and who the aggressor is. So this kind of general idea of, well, uh, you know, for all driving cars, there's more, you know, carbons going up and, you know, creating these greenhouse, this greenhouse gas effect. That seems a little strenuous, but I think what also could happen is as that become, if that were to become a major issue, or if that is a major issue, I see no reason why private actors couldn't act, why private actors couldn't, I'm just going to say, couldn't act in ways to try and mitigate that if it really becomes an issue. Like this idea that the only way that there could be any type of collective decision-making must be through state action is also unnecessary. There are plenty of things that private collectives could do to address some of these problems. Like the solution doesn't have to be that one person now owns the Mississippi River. It could right. be a group of people up and down the river. It could be some type of like co-ops. Like there are plenty of different ways that we could go about this. And if some major highway decides that, you know, they 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 watched um, some Bill, or no, what's, who was the, Al Gore. They watched the Al Gore documentary and like, damn it, you know, this is eating up my soul on my private roads. You got to have a car that, has at least 30 miles per gallon or whatever, or some type, you know, some type of restriction. There's no reason to think that these types of things couldn't emerge on the market if they were truly necessary. Love it. All right. Let's call it an episode. Why don't you let people know where uh where they can follow you? And then I'm gonna read a couple comments and then uh we'll let G Mike get home to his family. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, A Chamberlain97. So A C H A M B E R L I N 97. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Prez Chamberlain, P R S underscore Chamberlain. Hell yeah. And thank you to our sponsors, Sheath Underwear, Yo Kratom, Yo Delta. I've got a whole bunch of tour dates. Please come see me live. And let's start with You Do You all the way over there. Yeah, click, 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 click. Pink skin Robbie wearing red against a red background with red headphones. He needs to smile so we can see him. All right, next, Michael Chosen. My major takeaway from this episode is we should destroy the Brave Stadium right now because it's currently sitting empty. It's a waste of space. Let's consume it. Absolutely. Mm. And fuck mm -mm. the Brave. No one likes no, that. Excuse you. Chop on. Michael Cho Chosen and the Grand Canyon should be filled and put McDonald's there. All right. McDonald's and, then, and Michael or just the Grand Canyon? I don't know. I can't read that well. Uh, and then Michael Chosen comes through with 100 so let's close it right there. Thank you so much to everybody for hanging out with us and uh, have a great night, Mr. Uh, Mr. Anton. Uh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't pronounce that right. Like I said, I'm fucking retarded. I should stop You're trying good. to read things on air. Uh, G Mike, let's drop him off and let's uh, let's take a minute to, to recap the episode and uh, catch up. Are you on mic? Yeah, I'm on mic. What's up, man? How do you hang in there? I feel like that was a lot of heady information. It was good. And... No, I, I really like fuck the Fed. Yeah, well, you know what? Then you 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 got the core message. If that's what you came away from, what and what, where you been? I mean, too, you, you started off on the uh, Run Your Mouth podcast, unpaid intern. Now you now you're a big to do. You 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 upgraded to the Skanks. Now you're a full time worker here at the Gas Digital. You turned your whole life around. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm kind of killing it, man. Ever since I, I I started being a libertarian. And and I, I more people should volunteer to work for free on this podcast because look at how much good it you that that was the stepping stone on your resume. You were, you were, you were the first stepping stone in my my long resume now. 
Yeah, I mean, now you're uh, you're a seasoned professional of the podcasting game. Exactly, and Godfrey, we trust Tuesdays at 10 p.m. Yeah, you've made it further along than I have, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that is our episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Peace.